listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Greetings, wrestling fans of the 80s. Fans of 80s wrestling. And all those people, everyone that likes wrestling. <laughs> we like it all. We love some of the 90s too. That's okay. We like wrestling's good. We just didn't see it all. So we're going to relive it as we go. We're here this week. We paid attention. We listened. We looked at the stats, the facts, the figures. And the second most listened to ever episode of our show was Superstars on the Superstation. The intercontinental champion of our broad podcast. <laughs> the real worker, you know, That's like right. the worker belt. Show stealer. J- JCP, NWA. So what we're going to do today is set, run the road to the 1986 Great American Bash Tour. Now, you may sit back and say, well, hold on a second. I heard you guys said you're not really doing the pay-per-views, but aha, the Great American Bash 1986 was not a pay-per-view, so we can cheat the rules. It was a series, of course, of house shows and stadium shows and amazing shows, basically a full month of big action, really well promoted, very different than everything that Jeff and I grew up on, and we lived it off the magazine, so we want to take a closer look. I had a Now, pay- wait a minute. I never said nothing about what we were doing. That's on you, Draper. <laughs> I kept my mouth out of it. This is your fall to take, sucker. <laughs> Jeffrey the Body is clean and innocent. <laughs> so, what we're going to do is look back. There's too much stuff to cover, so if you look at our last jcp show which was superstars in the superstation and then there's the basically the next big thing you could really trip to would be the crockett cup now that's something that jeff and i have worked on is like a patreon exclusive not quite done it like everything else for patreon there's a a mammoth amount of uh, shows about to be released here people are starting to ask for their money back that's right on patreon (laughs) but it's all coming soon we promise but anyways to get us to the summer of 86 we have to see what built those feuds. But there's so much stuff that we can't look at all of the wrestlers and all of the feuds. There's too much good stuff. So we're going to focus on a couple of big feuds. Obviously, things revolving Ric Flair, things revolving the Road Warriors. I like me some Midnight Express. So we're going to sort of focus on what gets us to there. A couple of interesting notes, but we will, you know, not be covering things like Tully Blanchard beating Tusty Rhodes for the national heavyweight title or different heel turns and different stuff like that. We're just going to skip on past all that stuff and really try to build the feuds that, that were culminating at the Great American Bash and look at the difference of how JCP ran their business and how that weekly show, it wasn't a one, two, three, four, five, six week storyline. This is multiple months. We're talking a long, long, long build. So we're just going to like touch the highlights. And again, remember, we're looking for what was the TV experience? What was really shown on TV? A lot of things happen at house shows that are never on TV. So we're, you know, we're not going to focus on that as much. We're going to really focus on what could you as a viewer, if you had access to these TV shows, what were you seeing? What were you excited about? What was the stories they were presenting and telling you? Right. I do have some memories of seeing Sting on TV, but we're not there yet. (laughs) No, no. But it was just amazing to actually put on the television show and see Ric Flair wrestling Sting. Like, it blew my mind. And I recorded that. Oh, (laughs) God. So that's going to be 87 or 88 or... 88 is when they have their big match, yeah. Oh, man. 
It was just like, I was lucky that I had the machine that day, and then and then they, and they showed like a thirty minute match or something like right. It, like they gave us a it was a long, well I guess what they keep calling Broadways, but um, yeah yeah. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, <laughs> Ric Flair was uh, it was just so cool because like first we saw AWA and then we got used to WWF and then finally the NWA was able to get got through. <laughs> it snuck under our TV for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and when the NWA got through, it was cool because, I mean, I still remember the cover of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated where Sting finally won the belt. Right. You know, I mean, I, I remember that just distinctly. It's it's kind of like, almost like, where were you when, when Kennedy was shot? <laughs> that was that was my, which was the first ever pay-per-view you got off of Kenny's dad's satellite. Right, right, right. right Great right. American Bash, 1990. <laughs> I see. So, uh, so that that, that's that's the card? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I remember watching, I had the, the magazine and then we finally got to watch it it was that's right yeah so this era this 86 bash time this is 100 we're living through the magazines the summer of 86 will bring us the uwf and there is some nwa sort of information on there they promote and highlight their cards but i'm gonna say that i didn't really have a full i wasn't getting it wasn't getting to in you know taking the information of the great american bash through tv i was taking it in through magazines and it wasn't until 87 that i really started to get the you know the nwa kind of broadcast that took over the uwf broadcast and that's when we started to see more stuff so today's show with 86 really focusing on what people who were lucky in other areas of the continent and in America and Canada were watching and uh, what Jeff and I maybe were thinking about reading. But before we really dive into going back to 1986 and Jim Crockett promotions, I just wanted to take a moment to like acknowledge a pretty historical event that took place really recently, and that was the AEW All-In Show at Wembley Stadium in London. They really pulled off something that nobody thought they could, the little engine that could, the little, you know, the little wrestling company that people thought were going to go out of business pulled off, you know, a miracle and sold like 84 some thousand tickets, which is being recognized as the largest attendance at a show ever. Of course, people have 93,000 burned in their brain from WrestleMania 3, but that was kayfabe. That number was gimmicked and it's been proven over time. And WF finally, even themselves, I think is admitting <laughs> that it no longer was the case. It still was a tremendous amount of people. I think they're in the high 70s or something like that, but they did. They're, they're, they're beaten. They're, they've been beaten. That's it's right. champ. Wembley. There's a new champ. So I have not been watching the AEW product for about two months. So while I knew all of the wrestlers on that show, I didn't really, wasn't too aware of their storylines. I'd only seen a couple of clips on social media, you know, a couple of headlines. So a little bit of stuff, but it was interesting to try and watch it and think about the fan perspective of being in that building. I'm sure it was really exciting, but sight lines. So this stage, Jeff, the way they put the arena up and the, the ring it has these massive, like, four pillars, you know, outside of the ring that are, like, light trusses or whatever you call them that create, like, a roof over the top, like, probably three, four stories high. And they've got these massive, huge video screens like they do with, you know, football stadiums and hockey arenas and stuff like that. So they added that. But just remember back to our AEW experience, just think about how much just the ring post obstructed our view. Now, take yeah. something that's, like, 100 times that size and stick it on the four corners. Like, I... There must have been a lot of people at that venue that had some really, unfortunately, like not very good angles of watching the show. Now, they had some better video screens than we we were watching the back. We were looking at the entrance, so you're not even looking at the ring when you're looking at the video screen. It seems quite silly. At least here, it's more comfortable. You're just looking above the ring. Yeah, the rings for the screen for us was so far from the ring that we were like a tennis match. Like, look to the left to look at the wrestlers. Like, oh, (laughs) bad view. Quick, look to the right for the screen to see what's going on. And like, oh, okay, cool. And then you want to look to the left to see if you can actually look at 
like you know live human beings because you know, yeah you're, you're there not to look at TV screens you know you can watch TV screens at home <laughs> so I'm certainly not going to touch on all the matches and I I haven't even actually finished why I got to the main event because I don't I couldn't just sit down and watch this whole thing I've, as Jeff has mentioned before it's like the only time I can find time to watch this is like when I'm eating lunch so I've got like ten minutes and I watch like ten or fifteen minutes and then turn it off so it's been taking me a long time to get through it had to skip through some of the <laughs> some of the matches because I just didn't have time but one of the things I saw online that got me my curiosity peaked and then I really started getting excited for was they mentioned that Sting came out to his old music. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then as I was actually watching the show and realized he was about to come out, I really started getting like, I don't want to call it butterflies, but I was really anticipating this noise, you know. And if anybody watched late 80s, early 90s Sting, they know the music. They know his music. So when Sting came out to what I have to assume is like TNA music or something, like I was just kind of heartbroken because it was, you know, he was coming out to like basically uh, Metallica, like I can't even remember what song it was, Search and Destroy or something like that. Like, which is, you know, it's that's a great song to come out to, but I was expecting the, you know, like, and that's what I wanted and I didn't get it. Oh. Yeah. It's my fault for making that assumption. It's not like they said that's what it was, but I just, I guess I misread what I saw online. What a pity. Strikes again. I think that there's another point in this episode where, um, you know, I'll be complaining about the uh, <laughs> yeah. musical memories that they have destroyed. That's right. So quickly going through it, they they gave uh, there was a woman's like four way match for like the woman's title, and there's a wrestler named Soraya. Never knew who she was before she came to AEW because I don't watch WWE, and she had retired and come out of retirement. But she's from England, so she was like the hometown. So they kind of did a face turn for her, and, and she won the belt. You know, like, that was sort of, you know, it's cool to pull the trigger. Sometimes they always hesitate to actually let the hometown person have that victory. So Verngania strategy. <laughs> Never give them what they want. So what Jeff was interested in is he he finds quite an entertaining Orange Cassidy, which, you know, is, he's a controversial subject because some people really hate his shtick, and other people just love it and think it's the best stuff going. So he was part of this big, like, stadium stampede, so like five-on-five match. The Blackpool Combat Club, which is like John Moxley and all these people were fighting against the best friends which is orange cassidy and there's a tag team called the best friends and then they brought in these lucha brothers as another tag team and it's one of these big like they're just there's no rules there's no count outs it's just somebody's got to get pinned somewhere and there's people fighting up you know all over the place and stupid weapons and all this silly stuff but orange cassidy actually is the one who came away with the uh, pinfall and he and he beat like the guy he got the pinfall on was you know was fairly famous from WWE, so that kind of like upped his cred, you know. And he he's the orange punch, which is like the Superman punch, right? And he hit him three times with it, and he couldn't pin him. And then there was glass in the ring, so he got glass on his like wrapped up on his fist, and then he gave an orange punch with glass, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I don't like that. I know the the glass stuff and the forks and stuff. I just start fast forwarding as soon as it comes out. It's just it's not for me. No, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> if I punch him with. And cut, uh, that's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see his face all cut up or anything. Hopefully no. it was, you know, hopefully it's some kind of, like, theater glass maybe or something. Yeah, or, you yeah, know. yeah, like, wrestling at least you should be, like, you know, will knock you out. Not will. Yeah. But I've never liked the barbed wire. You know, we tried to have a laugh at the uh, the explosion. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Terry Funk and the exploding ring, like. You know, it is what it is, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I can kind of, like, see how that's a thing once a year or something. I don't get the week to week to week, and it's all the time. It's just, yeah, no thanks. So Chris Jericho had a pretty big match on the show. Um, he, again, was also fighting a l- local, a, a guy, Will Ospreay, who's quite world famous. And but the only thing I want to bring up with Jericho is his band was there. He played himself out. <laughs> So he wa- So the whole thing, when Jericho comes to the ring, he comes to his own entrance music, yeah. and the crowd sings his song. Right. 
and he just basks in the glory of everyone singing his song. Yeah. Well, this time his band's actually at the entrance and he's with them and he gets the crowd going on the mic and then they start then they after like a little intro, they actually start playing his theme song as he comes out of the tunnel and he's got a microphone so he's he's walking to the ring singing his own entrance song. So <laughs> never seen that before. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hey, yeah. why not, right? <laughs> Pride cometh before the fall. I hope. <laughs> yeah, well, I wish that uh, you know, I actually I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jericho. Yeah. I just hope that this doesn't, you know, go bad. I don't think so. Seem, no. People seem to like it. Okay. So one thing was neat was just the imagery of it. Like Wembley's pretty impressive. And when you get right. those overhead shots, it kind of looked like a Super Bowl event. Like right. everyone was getting like yeah, the fireworks coming blame. out of the top. And yeah, I can't blame Jericho. It's a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. The last one I'll touch on just because I, li- I like the idea of it was there was a, there was the three man or six man championship belts. And I don't really care about the the guys that had it, whatever. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the faction. The dark guys, I don't know, whatever. But uh, the evil people. Uh, but the acclaimed have, you know, Billy Gunn had run the storyline like two months ago. He basically was, he lost a match, so he was going to retire. And they've been trying to coax him and talk him back into coming out. So he finally came back for this feud. And uh, so they, the way they won the match, because they couldn't pin this guy, it's great because it's, there's no rules. It was they're, they're another one of these no rules match. They actually, like, all three of them can pin him. Like, so the, when the ref's counting, it's like there's three guys holding one guy down, you know? Like, and I like that idea. I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, that's smart. That's, that's a different way to end a match and stuff like that. Okay. And then you have your giant crowd loving the scissor me daddy stuff and all that yeah. silliness. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there you go. And the last part of it, I think, just to wrap it up, is leaning back to last week's show and our theme of friendship. So the main event was between MJF and a guy named Adam Cole. And over the last several months, they've built up this weird, funny storyline of them becoming friends and surviving as friends, even though they know that they're going to have to wrestle each other and stuff like that. So I saw saw the montage of like a lot of the clips from the last couple of months because I've missed most of it. I think it was really well, it looks like it was really well done. Like there was some pretty good comedy moments and like some sincere stuff. It kept making it look like they were going to turn on each other, but they never did. They always kind of hugged it out at the end. Even in one time when they got mad and pushed each other, they hugged it out and who knows what happens in the final match. I know it's out there to to just go read, but I'll I'll eventually see it. So yeah, kind of them playing on our theme of friendship. Well, that's great. Okay, well, uh, AEW, hats off to you. Well done. Well done in the uh, jolly old England where I lived for a couple of years in the 90s. So let's just kind of try and set the table here of what we got. There, of course, are just weeks and weeks and weeks worth of Saturday Night World Championship Wrestling episodes. There is the Worldwide Wrestling episodes, which also happened to, I think, air on Saturday. So that was a, you're a busy fan. If you're a fan of the NWA, you probably had like an afternoon show and an evening show or a morning show and an evening show and both on the same day. So yeah. Wow. There was a lot to take in. And a lot better than what we were watching. For the most part, yeah. Again, I think we we kind of have eliminated in our memory some of the good some of the some of the actual good matches they put on superstars. Certainly they were few and far between. They I weren't mean, like I every mean, single I, week. I, I, yeah, I actually meant AWA. Oh yes. Oh jeez. AWA was like yeah, they really uh kind of held you out. And I think that like this stuff as I've watched more and more weeks of it, even though I'm kind of fast forwarding through it and skimming through it looking for specific things they kind of took the AWA format of taking you to the arena show, but with more purpose, you know, like yeah, the thing you were seeing week, was, each, yeah, you each know, week and it built upon something. Yeah. It wasn't sort of just like a, okay, here's your, here's your crumbs. <laughs> you know, like, sure, yeah. Maybe, uh, I'm coloring my own view and saying like, we never got nothing on AWA. Like <laughs> I do remember occasionally, you yeah. know, and of course there's the whole thing of less is more. So it was pretty exciting. Yep. And, uh, otherwise, you know, it was so much of, uh, the same layout, as this world championship wrestling, you know, show. Yeah. Just not quite as good because the live studio audience was was limited in there. You know, the, the promos weren't there and there wasn't as much. 
it was all all one one thing happening. It was a way more exciting formula than the AWA show that like could be shot, you know, separately. They should right. they could shoot the promos in a different building. That's right. I mean, occasionally audience. they do that interview in front, on the ground in front of the ring, but not mostly in front of their backdrop, which, like you said, was done earlier in the week or earlier that day, or you know, and didn't have any of the excitement of having a crowd around and stuff like that. There are pros and cons to it. That's right. So as we look at March of 86 in Jim Crockett Promotions, a lot of the feuds that we were looking at in February still remain. They're still intact and they're overlapped. No one's just in a one, you know, there's no one one storyline. Everyone has multiple storylines. So Ric Flair has had that big match against Ronnie Garvin, but he still, Dusty Rhodes is a thorn in his side and, you know, the Road Warriors are a thorn in his side and Ricky Morton's a thorn in his side. So there's all these different people he's reaching out to and each of these characters, as you watch their promos, it's never just a one-on-one thing. It's never just like, Jeff, I'm going to get up, blah, blah, blah. It's always layered. Flair cuts a promo where he's basically talking about 14 wrestlers that That's he's going right. to face on the Great American exactly. Bash. And he's having his whole math problems. He goes, because 14 of you are the best, except for you're not, because I'm the greatest. <laughs> the greatest wrestlers except for me. And all you're all second greatest. And I'm like, oh, 14, you're second greatest? Like, that's not so. There's a magazine that ranks them. And they're like one to 10, you know? Right. like you know, Some of them aren't even in the top 10. Yeah, if you're down to number 14, you know, like, <laughs> I, I'm just sort of like, but I mean, it's a good promo. But still, he's listing them up. And as you yes. say, he's wrestling both Road Warriors, both members of the Rock and Roll Express, Wahoo McDaniels, yeah. Daniels on the tour. And of um, Dusty Rhodes. Ronnie Garvin, yeah. as you say, Magnum TA. Yes. So he's referring to 14 different wrestlers he's going to defend the belt. Yeah. Uh, against on the Great American Bash Tour. So it's, it's pretty so, neat. Yeah. Unlike anything we've ever seen on 100%. WWF. So Jim Crockett promotes Or AWA. Won, yeah, 14 different 14, guys? Yeah, no, it's, it's one story at a time, and it would take forever to get to it. So in 85, they ran the Great American Bash Tour to great success, and in 86, I think they were even more successful. I think we are right at the peak of Jim Crockett promotions. I don't think they're ever more successful than they are in the summer of 86. I don't think they ever had any more bright future. I don't think anything was ever looking better for them. You know, yeah. everything was on the up. Well, it's not quite clear to me exact when they folded how many times they folded because they've got multiple foldings it seems the you know jim crockett nwa wcw you know like changes its name comes back to life zombie you know like uh the the undead wrestling but like ricky morton was like saying and all this stuff happened and then three months later they folded and i'm like what do you mean they did there was you know like there was still more wrestling after yeah, he, you know he might, be re- uh, he might be referring to the original sale uh you know in 88 or whenever that was yeah i think so which I think even has to be the maneuvers for it even started in 87. I think by the end of 87, they already knew that things were, things were up and they were just months away from selling to Ted Turner, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the good times, the 86. So Jeff just hit it and we'll come back to it a little bit later in the show and really nail it down. Those, those dates, the list, the ideas like fan, you could get excited about, you know, Flair doesn't have one challenger. He's got a whole list of them, and he's got to fight these guys every night, you know, every other night on the on the tour, some of these in big arena shows, really impressive stuff. And I don't think it was, as much as Hogan turned everybody away, I don't think it was ever laid out for me in my mind that I was like, and then this month, Hogan's going to have 14 title defenses against these 14 deadly guys, you know? Like, it just it wasn't a thing. Yeah, really cool. Much more like competitive sports, it seemed like. That's you right. know, like the NHL teams, they play, you know, five or six other teams within two weeks or something. That's right. You know, so you have all this different combination of talent and that's much closer to this. So yeah, that particular promo was leading up to what will be our 
feature presentation this episode, which is a title defense, the first title defense of this tour against Hawk. So we're going to, of the Road Warriors, that's what we're going to work our way towards today on this episode of Legendary Wrestling Obsession. Ric Flair defending his gold at the beginning of the tour against Road Warrior Hawk. That's right, in Philadelphia and for everyone to see. And of course, Flair wrestled all these guys on the house shows. But and sorry, like folks. Six man tags and. There will be no killer Cal. I'm sorry. That's yeah, right. We're, we're in Philly, but we don't got Cal. I know. I was like, Philly? And I was like, no, wait, wait. My, like, you know, yeah. the back of my neck was tingling. Like, what's up with Philly? What's up with my... And I was like, oh, yeah, I know exactly why Philly. You know, we're not even at the Spectrum. We're at, uh, I guess, right. Veterans Stadium. Yeah, we're at a pretty impressive venue. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to look pretty cool. Yeah. So we'll get to that when we get there and some other stuff that has to happen before we get there. But the the stuff that really builds slowly for this, because I think the Road Warrior Flair feud, let's call it, at the Great American Bash, is a little bit of a shorter trip. I mean, he, the, the horsemen and the road warriors are running into each other a lot. The road warriors are helping out people like Dusty and stuff like that throughout all of this. So there's constant interaction. But the storyline that just builds so slowly and so it's built so well is this one you don't see coming. And it's this, you know, Ricky Morton, this tag team wrestler, and Ric Flair. And it's the smallest little things that happen initially, and it builds and builds and builds. And we'll, we'll touch on them as we go. Another one that's going to take a long time to build and has a really great culmination is the U.S. title picture, which is Magnum T.A. and Nikita Koloff. And, man, these guys talk like every week for months and months and months about signing a contract and fighting each other. And there's just a couple of little like clips you see throughout the, throughout this whole stuff of them actually getting physical. And then, you know, as we progress, we're going to see some, there's a development and then there's a setup of, you know, and I think it's famous enough that I'm not, you know, letting the cat out of the bag here, this best of seven series, which people will then go on to emulate, you know, in later decades and stuff like that. Wrestling companies trying to sort of re, you know, live this glory of this cool best of seven series that, you know, played out mainly on the Great American Bash. It ends after the Bash, but there's some, you know, there's a few great matches. So we'll get there. One of the first things we came across when we're looking at important stuff was a March 1st World Championship Wrestling broadcast. And there's an interview with the Russians who at this time are carrying around Baron Von Raschke as their, like, stand-in for Crusher Khrushchev, who's out with an injury. And there's a clip that they brag and show. So you go to an arena show... And it's Magnum T.A. versus Ivan Koloff. And Magnum T.A. hits the belly-to-belly. Looks like he's about to get the pin. Nikita scoots into the ring and attacks him. Magnum starts fighting back. They're having a good brawl. And that's where the Baron comes in with the chain and hits Magnum. So they take out Magnum. They nail him with the sickle. Then they wrap the chain around Nikita's arm and go up to the second rope and hold him open for another one. It's funny, there's probably somewhere who's like, a, uh, you know, a generation older than us who's like, when they put the chain on, that's when I start fast forward and I ain't got time for that because we right. plug our nose at the, we, you know, yeah, yeah. at the glass. When, no. when they started having more than one suplex in a match, that's when I turned it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we turn our nose up at the glass fist, but uh, we love the chain fist. That's right. <laughs> it's easier to gimmick. <laughs> yeah. So the interesting thing here is the Calvary I starts... I thought, like, wouldn't that hurt your fist as much as their head, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Jamming all these metal links into your delicate little yeah, bones. And... I don't think it would go very well. No. <laughs> for, <laughs> for anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was always part of why... It's a lose-lose. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Bobby Heenan in the corner holding, uh, holding someone yeah. up for the avalanche. Squash him. <laughs> I'm ready. So the first person to come to Magnum's uh, defense here is Baby Doll. <laughs> and there's a funny scene of her... St- chest slapping uh, Nikita and he's just yeah. looking down at her like what do you think you're doing yeah yeah yeah. that, that, that was a good <laughs> little <laughs> clip where she's pounding on his chest and bum, 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 yeah, yeah. putting up a fight so of course the hero comes shows up Dusty Rhodes and it's bionic elbows for everybody mm-hmm. except for he gets nailed by Nikita 
And then it's interesting. They set up baby doll like they're going to give her the sickle. Yeah. And then Dusty Rhodes comes in with a body check that's probably harder than the sickle. Yeah. Yeah. She takes a, you know, a hawk worthy flying shoulder, you know, and she goes, it was funny. It, it looked, yeah, it looked, you would have believed if they were holding her for Dusty to attack. You would have that's been like, right. oh, they got her. They got her real good. Dusty's on their team. Yeah. So she goes flying, but. But she's a big lady. She's very physical. She's got that Sherry Martell sort of style as far as like yeah. she's just in there mixing it up, you know, like she's ready to wrestle. And I think she's also, I, I don't know the numbers, but she just looks a bit uh, bigger and stronger than oh, Sherry. Oh, yeah. I think she's like 5'11 or something like that. So she's quite tall. And okay, so she's, a lot bigger and stronger than Sherry. Yeah, yes. Yes, definitely. And They then, billed her once as Andrea the Giant. That's right. Stupid yeah, billing. when she was like in World Class Championship Wrestling, I believe was where that name before that she became the Perfect Ten and Baby Doll and all that. So Dusty pushes her out of the way, but that opens him up. He takes the sickle instead. And as the Russians and Baron Ron Rashke are continuing to beat down, the Road Warriors show up. And the Italian Stallion. <laughs> oh, thank God. He's here to you know, collect right. some gambling good, debts. Good thing that guy's there. <laughs> Clear the ring and settle up with, uh, you know, Don Vito. <laughs> so this episode did have a scouting report, which I am skipping right over because it was, man, it was, that was a painful one when Jeff, you remember Bill Apter and boring, M- boring MTA, like two segments. Oh, that's career killing. Yeah. Yeah. They did it again this time with Dusty Rhodes and like, he had the greatest talker there is. And it's boring. It's just like, come on. Like, oh, it's even, the style of it. It's yeah. the way they're, they're just, the way they're presenting it is so boring. But anyways, yeah. the one neat thing about it is they have a clip of Ted DiBiase from the UWF. And this is around the time of the Crockett cup. So there's that cooperation between the two NWF. And Croc and UWF, and Ted DiBiase's explaining like basically his his baby face turn because he's he's a good guy in UWF at this point he's he's given up the black glove and so it's just neat to see Ted DiBiase like that early on like because when I started watching UWF he already was like a full fledged good guy right. him and Steve Williams were like the hero team and uh, it wasn't until later that I kind of found out about his original sort of heel tactics in UWF and other mm. other other territories and of course we know him as the Million Dollar Man. Why don't I wear the glove that has been so familiarly seen on my uh, right hand anymore? Uh, it's very simple really when I first started wearing that glove it was uh, as a result of an injury that I received to my right hand a broken hand it was used for protection and then when I started cutting corners and breaking rules and uh, wrestling that way I used it as a crutch I used it as a tool to help me out when I got in trouble or I thought I couldn't handle a situation and now as a lot of people know I've uh, I've changed my tactics I've gone back to being a scientific wrestler and I've gone back to appreciating the people and the fans that have supported me for years. And I've had a lot of wrestlers say, well, Ted DiBiase, you can't win anymore without the support of that glove. So I stripped the glove off my hand, I threw it away, and you'll never see it on me again. So the first interaction between Flair and Ricky Morton is so subtle. Basically, the Rock and Roll Express are at the interview set and they're talking and Flair's made comments and like we said, they everyone always talks about everyone, right? So the way Flair would make fun of different people, he would have different shtick for different people. And his thing that his put downs for the Rock and Roll Express come to sort of be formed as making fun of the fact that really they're only fans of these little kids and they, you know they're basically they only appeal to children and kind of teasing them I guess he'd said that in a few promos yeah well also kind of like a little bit of teeny boppers 14 year olds have crushes on you and taunting him so it's right. not not like Hulk Hogan children adoring him as a right. role model yeah, yeah, dad yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but like a bit of like oh you know this puppy love yes you know 
which of course in today it, that's way more loaded in today's world you know so there are the young ladies and they're you know not even really young ladies yet we're talking about 14 year olds and stuff like that who are goo goo for Ricky Morton because you know <laughs> they're, right. they're boy crazy and he's you know this cute baby face and they yeah. love him I mean we saw it with the Beatles and yeah, uh, yeah. you know like the fan was full of these it was such an interesting thing to see this footage of these you know the screaming the wailing the hysteria the cops holding back the, the teenage girls <laughs> right. right you know so so Flair's ripping on that yeah for sure so Flair's on his way to the ring. He's not even in the camera thing, but Ricky Morton addresses him and just did the most subtle comment. Like, I, I, the wording doesn't matter, but something along the lines of like, you know, you keep your mouth to yourself about our fans and it's just something simple like that. Just planting like the most subtle seed, just this tiniest thing. It wasn't a big showdown, a big fight. They didn't, uh, didn't yeah. break with the, the pizza cutters like each other's And the crowd's reacting to exactly. that, which is the beauty of this setup. Yep. So on the March 8th episode of World Championship Wrestling, there is a pretty funny ending to a match. So the Midnight Express has have, as we know, screwed over the Rock and Roll Express many occasions, including stealing the titles from them at Superstars in the Superstation. So the Midnight Express are taking advantage of some poor jobbers and beating them up after the fact. So the Rock and Roll Express come out and uh, basically, you know, get some licks in and beat up the Midnight Express and chase them off. But this, they, this is Condry, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. And they catch Jimmy Cornette in the ring by himself and they get to do the double drop kick on him and send him over the top rope. It's oh, awesome. <laughs> love the way Cornette takes bumps. Yeah, it's great. It's just like seeing Heenan fly over that rope or something. Yeah. It's really good. So that's fun stuff. I want to skip ahead to the March 15th episode because the promos between Nikita and Magnum start taking on this funny thing. So there's a bit going on here where Nikita Koloff won't wrestle on TV. He's wrestling in house shows, but the gimmick is he'll only come to the ring with like Ivan and stand in his corner in street clothes. He won't wrestle because the Kremlin won't let him. <laughs> and the Kremlin won't sign the contract to find oh. to, to fight Magnum because it's not rich enough. <laughs> okay. It's not enough money to wrestle on. Okay, That's sure. right. They're not, they're not, until they offer more money, we're not going to let you fight. Okay. And just this idea that like the Kremlin is involved in American wrestling is so sure, great. Yeah. And Magnum playing it up, he's totally trying to be the American superhero. And he's like, and he's just he's he's addressing the Kremlin directly yeah, in his yeah. interviews. <laughs> it's Me- really funny. Meanwhile, you know, over in the WWF, Nikolai has just become a jobber, so there's no <laughs> no serious Russian presence or threat in the uh, in New York. <laughs> That's right. Well, he's still he's still getting ready to squit. You know, he's he's still got his feud going with Kirshner there, so he's not completely out. But <laughs> yeah, but he just lost the Coco. Beware. <laughs> still no answer from the Russians on that lucrative contract for this. U.S. heavyweight title, and Magnum just got to wonder, maybe it's the Kremlin behind this, not letting the Koloff sign any contract. Well, you know, I'm getting a little fed up with all these political negotiations to begin with. This is professional wrestling. I don't really care what the Kremlin wants. I don't really care what Nikita Koloff wants. What I'm tired of is tired of waiting, waiting for the time to come around when he has enough guts to walk in that ring with me. So one of the things I noticed in these tapings is that we get a jobber Ray trailer who a lot of people know as the Big Boss Man, Big Bubba. But it's his days before he's actually Big Bubba. So uh, apparently Dusty Rhodes saw him and thought he would be great. So they brought him in as an enhancement talent and put him in a match with Tully Blanchard. And when Tully Blanchard was able to do the slingshot suplex on him, which takes a lot of work from the person taking it as well, it's not just the guy doing it, that's when they were really impressed. They were like, holy smokes, this like 300-pound guy, they can, you know, plus they can throw him around and all this stuff. So he does have several weeks on TV as this jobber character. Looks kind of funny. He looks like uh, the guy from, I don't know, Beer Fest or the police, one of those police movies. Uh, anyways, uh, you know, he just he does looks he looks very different than he does his boss man. Not long after this, he's back in a suit and a hat as Jim Cornette's bodyguard as Big Bubba. 
Yep. I remember him, remember him from the wrestling magazines. Yeah, I, I loved that he was, you know, really, it was really big when I first got into UWF. Uh, it was around the time that Big Bubba became the champion. And that was just, he just seemed so, and they really gave him that, you know, he was invulnerable. You know, he could smash a chair over his head or something and he would just, he'd just take his hat off and fix his hat and put it back on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good gimmick. <laughs> For sure. So we see that in one of the weeks. And then we're going to get to, it's March 22nd. And, or pardon me, that was March 22nd when I saw Ray Trailer. March 29th, we've got a Rock and Roll Express match against some jobbers, but a certain world champion comes to the set. Indeed. Well, uh, Ricky and Robert are working over a guy's leg, and uh, but Flair is on the mic chatting with, I guess, uh, David Crockett. Yeah, and, and Tony. And Tony goes on and on and on, and he's basically mocking uh, Ricky Morton. <laughs> so Ricky can hear him. So it's a, an interesting angle because Ricky's like basically got one eye giving Ric Flair the stink eye while That's they're wrestling. Right. <laughs> Flair's making the running commentary. He's definitely, he, well, among other things, he's uh, saying that Robert Gibson is like the more important part of the team. Oh, or, interesting. Yeah, yeah, well, he was saying like, yeah, I heard Gibson was the rock of the rock. Okay, oh, yeah, Or yeah, maybe yeah. they were, that was kind of like, oh, sure, they say Robert Gibson is like a stud, but I'm the, really the stud. So I wasn't sure if he was like <laughs> saying Ricky's the weak link of the team or Robert okay, Gibson yeah, is a ladies' that, man, really but I'll tell that, you, but, yeah. I'm a real lady. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He definitely was saying... You know, because he had to talk for like four minutes, so you know, or like five minutes. Actually, the the match got a little boring because yeah, they yeah, just yeah. kept working the guy's leg. Yeah, Very yeah. high flyers. These you know. two high flyers. And I said, to, I said to Jeff as we were watching, I said they worked this guy's leg for like four minutes, and then they're going to end the match with a drop kick. <laughs> Which, yeah, <laughs> they drop kicked his partner and ended the match that way. Yes, indeed. the The real action, of course, is after the match. It's always cool when a wrestler goes comes out of the ring. Because they look like a professional athlete, they're still breathing heavy, they're covered in sweat, and they're pumped up on adrenaline, so that helps. And uh, Ric Flair hasn't gone anywhere, he's been mocking the team the whole match, and uh, now he's there, and he's got a little gift for Ricky Morton. Of course, earlier he said, don't go anywhere, you know, don't turn your back on the champion, and I have a little surprise for you. So he carries on with this angle that Ric Flair likes... Real women, 18 to 28. That would get him in hot water today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, odd how, in some ways, we have a more more conservative culture than we did in the 80s. Uh, anyway, and so Ric Flair is saying that, you know, oh, all your fans are these, you know, they're not women yet. They're still, you teeny know, boppers. teeny boppers. They're, you know, these you know, halfway there, but, you know, they're they're in love with you. But, I like uh, the big woman. You like that's the itty-bitty right. woman. Yeah, and he's pretty graphic. I like the big double Ds. I like, you know, full sweater. <laughs> anyway, he pulls out a little tiny uh, training undergarment and he da- drapes it over Ricky Martin's shoulder. And then finally, Ricky gets a chance to uh, respond. That's right. And he, uh, you know, and, and he comes at Flair for saying, you know, you used to be a face, you know, and the fans supported you. That's and right. Now it's all gone to your head and, you know, but without these fans, you're nothing. And, of course, that makes Flair very angry. That's right. It isn't long before the insults lead Ricky Morton. He's got to do something. So That's he right. t- takes off these expensive looking shades. But nowadays, I couldn't tell, you know, like <laughs> $5, you know, they're all shiny. And he crushes them right there in front of Ric Flair. So Ric Flair is furious. That's right. It does lead to Ric Flair slapping Morton. Uh-huh. But when Ricky Morton slaps Ric Flair, he takes a bump and falls down. That's right. <laughs> Great. Love it. So this, of course, leads to scuffling. And Robert Gibson is a face, so he's not going to get involved. You can't have the heels. I mean, you can't have two heroes double teaming the uh, two on one. Not fair. That's not uh, how heroes behave. Yeah, it would have had to be in the confines of a tag team match, though they would do a double team on him. But uh, on a set, no way. That's right. Uh, and it spills into the ring where Ricky and Ric Flair, you know, actually do some spots. 
And they yeah. get some wrestling moves. Chops and punches and yeah. yeah. But Ricky's, of course, getting the better of Flair. Yeah, Flair gets a couple of shots in, but he takes most of the shots himself. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and uh, it kind of, the way that it ends is more or less like Ricky having his way, you know, when Flair does the whole begging off, like, no, no. And it's, you know, like, I've had enough. Yeah. This is kind of like where he doesn't actually get to that point. No, no. But he's like, no, yeah. he's reeling. And Ricky just kind of like, you know, he's on his butt. Ricky's on his feet. And Ricky's like, you know, wags the finger and like, that's what you get. And you mess with me. And that's right. And, and Flair's, you know, and, and Ricky leaves. He's the Stunned, ring, yeah. So Rick, Rick's just like, yeah, I know, love it. He's uh, he's furious. down and out. Uh, Ricky's knocked him down with these hard punches, and then Morton turns to leave the ring, and Flair like desperately grabs at his leg. So so yeah, Morton yeah. gives him a couple more shots, yeah. and then he, and then he just walks out, leaving him there. Yeah. And Flair comes to sort of able to get up on his feet and knees just as they're leaving to start being mad again <laughs> as they're gone as they're leaving. He's so furious <laughs> that he's been shown up and uh, manhandled. Well, of course, yeah. Ricky Morton is the perceivably smaller man here. Yeah, well, Ricky Morton, 40 pounds especially for, or something. The, for the 80s, Ricky Morton is so small. Like, Rob, Robert Gibson's a little bit taller. They have similar builds, but because Robert Gibson's taller. And like, rounder shoulders. Yeah, like, and bigger shoulders, bigger back, you know. Yeah. Like, so, Robert Gibson doesn't look as small as Ricky Morton. Ricky Morton is really built for, like, today's wrestlers. Like, there's all these guys today that are Ricky Morton size. Like, that's the size that a yeah. lot of these guys are. Right. And it's, they're, he's, he's they're... toned. He's got muscles on his arm. It's not like he's, like, just, like, a scrawny, but, like, he definitely does not look like a, a WWF mid-'80s wrestler. He doesn't look like he's on roids. Oh, absolutely And not, today's yeah. smaller wrestlers actually do because of their definition to yeah. me. Yeah, they, you know, like that kind of like muscle tone, you know, there's something I think it's not that they're huge, big freaks, but that there's just, yeah, you there's know, different things to take to um, achieve different looks. That's a sculpted look, which was rare in yeah. our day. But yeah. now every wrestler, you can count every muscle. Right. It also might be the lack of travel. Like these guys were traveling like six days a week. They didn't, you know, they did workouts, but they didn't have time to like build their life around being a bodybuilder. Whereas I think these guys that are doing like one TV taping a week, maybe they do have time to. Uh, that's true. I speculate. <laughs> so it's really neat that bring you know it fires things up and of course like I said the Rock and Roll Express have been allies of Dusty Rhodes and other people so there's been lots of interaction between the Horsemen and the Rock and Roll Express over time but this is really bringing it into like focus right this is making it this single match like an actual focused match which at this point it's early enough they haven't announced the Great American Bash Tour stuff so we wouldn't know specifically about a date that they're going to wrestle but certainly as a fan watching on TV you know this is going to lead to a match because it's just it's too hot it's just too much going on and really it is the hottest angle of the bash I would say and also has stood the test of time as the um most beloved angle of all the people that Flair was wrestling in this in these days turns out that they sold the most tickets when Flair was wrestling Ricky Morton. So they did think, I don't know, a full, it sounded like a full tour. I mean, because I mean, it, it reminded me a little bit of, okay, it's singles match, San Martino as guest referee. That leads to, you know, oh, now San Martino wants in on the action. It's a tag match. Yeah, him, yeah. You know? So you have Roddy Piper wrestling Paul Orndorff with San Martino as referee and Orton in Piper's corner. And of course, this leads to a tag match, you know, because, yes. you know, the bad guys are going to mess with the former champion. And so San Martino wants to get at the bad guys. So Orndorff and San Martino, a month later, team up exactly like Piper and then they probably do it one more time in a cage exactly so it, yeah. and that's I think exactly what Morton said you know like we went there then we had the return match and then we finished it off in the cage is what, what Flair yeah. was saying for this one circuit and so what was cool was that Flair said only three tours sold out from, you know, Savannah to Orlando or whatever it was, yeah, but their yeah. mid-Atlantic region right yeah and the first one shocked the hell out of me Blackjack Mulligan oh wow 
Yeah. What year would have that been in? I we'd have to look it up, yeah. but let's just say eighty one. You know, okay, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or, I mean, total gas. Right. And then the second one also surprised me, and then I forgot it. I had to go back look it up, but. Another Rick, the steamer. Yes, of course. So they I mean, like this is Ric Flair remembering sellouts. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And then he said the only time, the other time it happened was when he wrestled Ricky Morton, and then he said, you know, we were there second, finishing the cage, and anyway, blending out all together, only three tours sold out every venue. Ric Flair fighting Blackjack so you know, Mulligan. Obviously, you're not talking about the Great American Bashes. You just mean nope. a tour in general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the Great American Bash was a tour. In that case, yes. Yeah. And so this, but then he talks about a full circuit with just Ricky Morton. Yeah. You know, so yes, we are comparing two different things. Great American Bash had like, you know, allegedly 14 challengers, but uh, for Flair's title. However, there was also a good chunk of time where Flair says, every night, Morton and I toured this region. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, only only twice before and never again. Did we sell out everywhere? And that's where I, I didn't even know that Blackjack Mulligan had wrestled Ric Flair. I, I, I didn't yeah, even Yeah, I knew there were tag champions together at some point in Mid-Atlantic, but uh, oh, then, then well, they, that explains they, it. they probably feuded after the fact well, or of something. Course. Yeah, yeah. Best friends break up. That's, that's right. That's, that's how they did. <laughs> um, and then Steamboat, which, which gives credence to my conspiracy theory that Steamboat and Flair were tag team champs somehow. <laughs> History, yeah, that's right. Hidden vault treasure, you know, because he was saying that that, that was the other sellout tour. Yeah, yeah and they had then, a lot of matches in the 70s and early 80s, long before the yeah. stuff that we know. Yeah. Ricky Morton had uh, a unique draw, a rare he was, draw. He was, he was a bigger star than he knew, <laughs> than anybody yeah. knew. It was like he was so popular and it was something they kind of missed out on capitalizing on and that'll come, but... I think the shows that I looked at, you see a lot of Ric Flair versus Rick Morton house shows between this time period and into the summer when I'm when I'm looking. So there's a whole bunch of matches that aren't televised. And, it, you know, there's the odd match against somebody else. It's not like he's just wrestling exclusively Ricky Morton, but he certainly, for a you know, six-week period, that was who he wrestled the most. Right. And well, there's uh, more to say, but we'll save it for next week because next week we're going to really feature on a blow-by-blow match, uh, yeah. Great American Bash yeah. challenge. And so more to say about Flair and Ricky and backstage yeah. and what and could have been. There's a couple more things coming up this week to kind of get us there. So, yeah, more rock so I'll hold my fire. I have some things to say about, you know, yeah. things I learned, uh, uh, you know, on shoot interviews. Right, yes. And But I'll save it for next week. Cool. All right. Definitely, Ric Flair was favorable to Ricky Morton. You can tell because uh, Flair would oh, was he, he loved working with them. Yeah, yeah they're a great worker. They they're great for each other. They look you know they look awesome in the ring together. Yeah, great chemistry. The crowd goes nuts, and you get more money because yeah. they sold more tickets. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna look over just real quick at a. April 5th worldwide episode. So this is the sort of the counterpart to World Championship Wrestling. And for people like myself and Jeff who weren't really familiar with it, had heard of the show but never really got to see it. It's interesting because instead of being in that tight studio environment, all of the matches come from their arena shows. Not always the biggest arenas. Sometimes it's some one of their smaller like, you know, school gyms or something where there's a thousand people, but it's still a very different environment. It looks different, it sounds different, but it's a very similar sort of style setup to the program. And because these shows ran every weekend, there would be some overlap. So if you saw a clip on Worldwide, you might also see it on Saturday night, but sometimes I have found a couple of occasions where there's something different, you know, you, you'll get something that's only on one of those shows, or at least it takes a couple of weeks until it's on the other show. So it's neat that the, you know, the people who had access to this, you know, they didn't want to miss their, you know, their syndicated show versus that Saturday night one with the 605, which is the real big one for everyone. So in this episode, there is a match between 
I think it's Ivan Koloff and Rocky King because Ivan Koloff, Nikita Koloff is still pulling his shtick that he won't get in the ring, right? So he's he's on the outside in a sweater and I think Rocky King ends up on the outside so Nikita beats him up a bit. They get him back in, they pin him and then they come in and start really beating on Rocky King which is like the sort of Italian stallion level sort of jobber plus kind of guy. And so, but this is where Magnum comes out and this is where you finally get another interaction between these two. So it's it's weeks and weeks of talking and then you get one little snaky lick. <laughs> And there's a big there's a big brawl that doesn't last very long. That's the scuffly roll around. Yeah, and people and break the, it up and yeah, you know that kind of stuff. Right, needs in his jeans or something. Yeah, exactly. He's like neither of them are in wrestling gear. I believe that they're both in street clothes, especially Nikita, because I can picture he's in almost like a Christmas sweater or something like that. You know, like it's kind of an odd look for him. <laughs> don't expect to bring him home right. to the family, right? <laughs> Three CP one direct from KGB Christmas presents sweater. <laughs> So on the April 12th Saturday night episode, Tony tells us the TV match is signed for Nikita and Magnum, but it's on Koloff's terms, which means it's going to be a Russian chain match. Oh, boy. And from there, we're going to take a look at something that happened to the Road Warriors. So the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering are at the interview desk with Tony Schiavone, and they are outraged because there's been a dastardly attack by the Russians. There was a match in Baltimore where the night before, Hawk had been injured, so a scheduled six-man tag match for those championships was canceled and instead there was a tag match ivan and nikita koloff versus animal and paul ellering right well he was a bodybuilder and uh he actually looks pretty decent in the ring well he Just, definitely wrestled in a lot in the 70s and stuff like that for sure before he was a manager right so he's got long black tights on and stars up and down his legs but uh unfortunately for paul ellering he gets attacked by a chain and I think that there's a, before any of that, ha- well, I'm not even sure, how, what was the, the finish of the match? With, it starts with a ref bump. Ah. So it starts with a ref bump, which allows the Russians to start using the chain. So Animal's getting beaten up on the outside by Nikita with the chain, and they had hit Ellering with the chain on the inside. So now it's like a two-on-one on the inside. But the ref, it's really weird, because I'm pretty sure in the clip he gets thrown out by the Russians, yet he crawls back in the ring and does a three-count. Right. And <laughs> there's the, no disqualification. The, uh, you know... Animal and Ellering actually lose the match, but the key thing is that uh, they wrap the chain around their fist, either for the the finish, but mainly after the match, they uh, are holding Ellering down. They climb the top rope and drive a chain-wrapped fist into the small of his back and his spine so that the injury looks so bad. Animal gets in there, chases them away, but the damage is done, and they take him off on a stretcher. That's right. Yeah, and they're really hyping up that the return match because Hawk's healthy now. How do you say it? Good for me, bad for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> he's they're going to be coming back to Baltimore to blow this up again and have this have this rematch now that Hawk's healthy. So it kind of just keeps this thing going. I mean, the the Road Warriors and the the Russians had many matches and this is just all part of this continuing ongoing thing. Though, of course, they always have a minute to talk about the Midnight Express because they want those belts too, among other things. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what that meant, but Well, the everybody has to have more than one angle because Hawk is going to wrestle Flair, but he can't wrestle Flair every night. So he's got to keep those, you know, Russians in the background for yeah, the other nights. It's interesting those bash cards where like the tag team partner gets the match against Flair and then the other tag team partner either has to have a singles match or in some cases there's a bit of a weird tag team match where they're wrestling a traditional tag team, but then, you know, the, the single Rock and Roll Express or Road Warrior has somebody else as a partner that maybe they don't normally tag with. So it's neat the way they kind of switch it up. And Having said that, I did try to find Animal versus Flair for the title belt, and I couldn't see it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they recorded all of the 
the great like unfortunately yeah. it's not like today where every single thing that gets done yeah. gets recorded so back then as far as i can tell the only cards that had like proper recordings were july 5th and july 26th now the july 1st card has footage of some sort so there must have been something else going on there so there's a bit of the was it ever recorded at all or is it just not obviously available on like you know youtube and vimeo and all those other things so We'll see what we can find on these different matches. But yeah, we couldn't just, we couldn't literally go out and just magically pick out every single flair title defense in the Great American Bash and say we're going to watch all these matches because no, well, it's not, not available. Exactly. I can't find Animal versus Flair when I tried to Google that. That's right. We get the impression that Flair defended his belt against both Road Warriors. Oh, it's on the schedule for sure. And he definitely did. He definitely did. I, I would say that Hawk got the more high profile singles matches against Flair. And even down the road, there's going to be, you know, some, some big events where it's Flair and Hawk or the main event or at least the co-main event of an ep- of a card i think i read in one of the wrestling magazines this one there were so many different parts of the magazine there were the ratings there were kind of feature articles and then there was one two-page spread that had these kind of up and down columns and it had basically the results from say six or seven or eight cities and they listed the whole card who won very brief like because they they showed you a little you know there was a picture and you only have room for so much you know on one two-page it wasn't a fold you just you turn the page and like oh here's you know results card results anyway i remember I would, if I didn't have the magazine, I would like to, that was easy to read. You know, if you were at the, if your time was limited as Corey, you know, at the grocery store or whatever, you could take a quick look at the top 10. That's right. Yeah. You would maybe, but you couldn't read an entire article that was like quotes with wrestlers. But you might flip to something where it was like, oh, that match happened. Okay. I got to go see if they'll tell me who won it. So I was reading what I imagined to be and have been like this really disappointing result where let's say Animal wrestles Ric Flair in Chicago for the belt. But it was like Ric Flair managed to get Road Warrior Animal's ring entrance body armor and drive the spike in Animal's eye, you know, causing the disqualification. I was reading that. I was like, in Chicago, his hometown, he got poked in the eye with his own. I was like, oh, God, I was so frustrated reading that in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Like, oh, you can win the belt from Flair in your hometown. But like, I don't know if it it almost made it sound like a pre-match attack where he didn't even get to put on a show. But like, could you imagine how disappointed you would be to like your hometown guy? I know, none less yeah, than Road yeah, Warrior yeah, Animal. Yeah, yeah. And then he gets punked, you know, before the match even starts. So hopefully it was like a good ass kicking. And then like the horsemen did their nasty business. And then they poked him with his armor. Because you have <laughs> you got to put on a show and make people happy. That's right. It's interesting, too, to think about the concept of this program, the show, this tour, and how it works today versus then. So the difficulty of running a Great American Bash tour in 2023 or even 2010 or whatever is just the way like information travels and the results being known and stuff like that. I think part of the beauty of the Great American Bash is for the most part, most people didn't know what happened in the other cities. They might know that there's going to be cards in those other cities, but other than what was being presented to them on the TV show about results, they probably didn't know. Because even if you're getting some results from a magazine, the magazines were always months behind. So it wasn't like you were week to week able to keep up with, oh, what happened in Baltimore? What happened in Philly? What happened here? What happened there? You kind of just knew your own thing. Whatever was presented to you on TV, and if you were someone who actually went to these shows, whatever you saw. And that's why I think the magic of like, you know, 85, 86, 87 Great American Bash Tours is that it kind of existed at a time that that format could work. That, you know, you wouldn't know everything and... It was a more ignorant time. (laughs) A beautiful time. (laughs) Bliss. (laughs) Oh, 
okay, on the same April 12th episode, we're going to see a Rock and Roll Express match against some jobbers, which includes uh, Mr. Ray Trailer again. But before that match can even begin, somebody comes to the ring. It's Ric Flair. Oh, wow. And he's in his purple trunks, and he's calling off the tag team match between the Rock and Roll Express. What did they call themselves? The Powers of Pain. No, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Bossman and Akeem teamed Twin up. Towers. <laughs> Briefly. Yeah, the Twin Towers. Okay, so you got Big Bossman in his jobber. Outfit. Yeah. Baby... Uh, the Rock and Roll Express even give him a couple of drop kicks for for good measure before yeah. it's all over. <laughs> yeah, he takes a good you know drop kick, yeah. and then he and his buddy get out of there because uh, Rick Flair wants to wrestle Ricky Morton. Now we don't gotta one wait. One on one. That's right. We don't gotta wait till I think he says Atlanta. That's right. Sounds right. Anyway, then he get in there and they put on a like a twelve minute awesome yeah commercial spot. break and everything and yeah yeah great match. Let's see. There is a lot of Ric Flair. I mean, this is what he's known for making everybody that he wrestles look look good. Uh, Ricky Morton is doesn't a lot. Need, doesn't need any help with that. <laughs> no, Ricky's a lot smaller than him. So there's uh, a lot of pin attempts, you know, roll ups and that kind of stuff. We get some interesting spots. We see a an abdominal stretch put on the way I've never seen it before. That's awesome. Yeah, Ric. Flair Irish grips Ricky Morton and then awaits him for a hip toss instead of um, going over because that's how abdominal stretches always end that's with right. hip tosses. <laughs> the reversal. <laughs> that's right. Ricky Morton's like, oh, you want to give me a hip toss? I'll give you an abdominal stretch. It's weird because he doesn't, it's not some big production to get into it. He just sort of like steps, he just like, as soon as he gets there, he just immediately hooks it on. Like, I don't know how yeah. he gets his legs in the right position, but he just, boom, he's there. He's in. Yeah. <laughs> You know, this is a audience of maybe uh, 80 people or 100, but it's just cool to see that, you know, the excitement can be there, even if it's uh, that small, a physical crowd. Cause That's right. You know, so other, you know, it's full of typical flare spots. There are a couple of weird botches. There's a strange attempt at a neck breaker that ends up in almost like... Battle it, of leverage. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, like, almost like a full Nelson gone wrong. Like, in it's, Yeah, well, I thought he was going to do, like, almost the honky-tonk man shake rattle roll, but then Flair didn't go with it, so then he, then Ricky Morton turned it into the position you'd put Ravishing Rick Rude would put his neck breaker into. But then, as Jeff said, all of a sudden from there, Flair started kind of, like, fighting out of the position, so now they're struggling, I don't know, do what. <laughs> yeah, and at one point, yeah, they were back-to-back, and yeah, yeah. Ricky Morton had his hands clasped over Ric Flair's chin behind him, yeah, you know, yeah. like some kind of the strangest. Like he's trying to do like the hangman uh, submission move, but he doesn't have Flair off the ground, so. <laughs> Very bizarre. Anyway, uh, and then there was another Thez Press where Ricky Morton forgot to uh, open up his knees so that he could actually wrap his legs around the waist, you know, and flatten <laughs> yeah. the guy, but he did it halfway through. That's right. Um, but there were a lot of high-flying, exciting spots. And, That's uh, right. You know, Ricky Morton. And you get An- Arn Anderson comes to ringside. You've already got Robert Gibson there the whole time, yeah. but eventually Arn Anderson shows up in the corner. Yes, he does. He's angry, of course. He's sweaty. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of back and forth. Uh, nobody bleeds. That's notable. Yeah. So they there's a lot of you know obviously punches and kicks and drop kicks and ro- roll ups and reverse cradles and all that kind of stuff. So I think if we're looking at the end of the match, there's this uh, ref bump basically. Pee Wee Anderson, who's like childhood friend of Arn Anderson and got into the business that would have been that should have been their danny davis or <laughs> Pee Wee right. anderson should have become the horseman's lackey or something yeah but anyways well flair is going to uh put ricky morton well he's got him in that
that position where you can atomic drop somebody, you That's know. Right. So, and uh, on the other hand, in a different situation, I got you in a headlock. That's right. <laughs> anyway, um, so Flair picks him up, and but Ricky Morton decides to, instead of coming down with his spine on Flair's knee, he decides to do a three sixty. Now he's behind Flair. It flips over. Yeah. Yeah. Does a t- complete flip, and now he's behind Flair, and he doesn't really know where the ref is, so he pushes Flair in the ropes to try a schoolboy, but that's where Pee Wee takes the bump, and he's out of the ring. That's right. Yeah. So the action continues in the ring for quite some time. Actually, there's a lot more going on. Yeah, Morton gets all these like you know non-cover these like six, seven counts where there's no ref, there's no ref, there's no ref, and then they fight a bit more, and then there's another cover for no ref, no ref, no ref. Right. Here's how they go home. Ricky Morton does the Irish rip from one corner on Ric Flair. Ric Flair goes running into that corner, but as he usually will do, he'll duck his head and shoulder <laughs> down and basically rotate a flip. Over so that he's on now the apron. He uh, That's right. he kind of like he does hit the corner, but he's upside down by the time he hits the corner. <laughs> the flare and the, flip. And the, yes, the flare flip. But as we all know, the flare flip doesn't stop there. He gets on his feet <laughs> and continues running to the other turnbuckle corner post and climbs the top rope. And then we'll launch an attack. That's right. But 90% of the time, 99% of the time, he'll get caught. <laughs> 20 Body's... years, it hasn't worked once. <laughs> yeah. I guess Jim Ross didn't see this show because it right. works. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> he goes up and kind of, yeah. He goes up to Flair to the uh, top rope and he delivers a flying body press and Ricky Morton just watch him and watches him and takes the press. It's a pretty solid hit too. Like you yeah. hear the collision between them. Like it's solid. Mm-hmm. But Ricky lets the momentum carry them both over so that Ricky Morton is in the pinning position. And at this point, the ref is still out of the ring, but Arn decides to come in anyway and make sure that... Flair's not going to get pinned. (laughs) Yeah. Robert Gibson also enters the ring at this point. And although Flair's off camera, he gets a dropkick from Robert Gibson. And then Robert Gibson, in the absence of a ref, he makes the one, two, three count. And then for all appearances, Ricky Morton has uh, has pinned Ric Flair, but not with a proper official. Yeah. And as we watched the replay and Jeff and I and we were sitting there going like it's a neat drop kick because Robert Gibson comes in for the drop kick and the momentum of the drop kick eventually basically makes Robert Gibson do a circle in the air like he does a spin you know he flips but it's almost like he lands perfectly to then do the pin <laughs> yeah yeah well he had some resistance to sort of bounce and That's rotate right. off of yeah that's right. And so uh, Flair is just furious that, you know, he's been embarrassed on TV. That's right. And the Rock and Roll Express celebrate. They go off camera. The mic is live and Dusty Rhodes is there with Baby Doll and Tony Schiavone. And they're all mocking Flair. And Ricky Morton says, I'm going to be the next champion of the world. That's right. He's confident. And, Rick, and Dusty Rhodes says, oh, it'll be me and Ricky Morton fighting over the world title on the Great American Bash. <laughs> so the next week's show is going to be the day of the Crockett Cup. So that's an ep- that's an episode that we've recorded for Patreon. So uh, listen at the end of the show on how you can sign up for Patreon and check out all that bonus content that's coming soon. So the next week we have also, pardon me, that same weekend, it's the worldwide episode is a bit of a different stuff. So we do get to see a clip partway through the show and it's Ricky Morton in the ring and Ric Flair's in there in his suit, <laughs> his street clothes, ready to confront Ricky Morton once again. It's a very short clip, but we see a quick little confrontation. Another fight. What's awesome here is that Ric Flair is willing to sacrifice some nice clothes because <laughs> Ricky starts to basically try to tear up his shirt, you know, all his finery. And that was always a cool thing about Ric Flair is that he wasn't a character. He was a professional wrestler. Yeah. You know, over in the WWF, you have tribesmen from the savannas of Africa, <laughs> Kamala. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is not a professional wrestler, right? So Ric Flair had a beautiful ring robe, 
but he didn't have, it wasn't a costume. He was wearing $10,000 suits. And, <laughs> and that always gives him fuel for his promos, his wrecking the nice clothes. So That's right, yeah. And they would do stuff like that with him in Steamboat. Steamboat would rip his clothes off. Like, Flair liked getting down to the skivvies, right? He loved yeah. it when he was down in his underwear. <laughs> Much better than the uh, tuxedo matches between Fuji and Hillbilly Jim. Correct, yes. <laughs> okay, so we get to see a clip of another encounter between Magnum and Nikita. So we have an interview set on this worldwide episode, and we're looking at Nikita Koloff, Ivan Koloff, a returning Crusher Khrushchev, and we wouldn't know it, but David Crockett's hiding in the back behind Crusher Khrushchev. Yep, somebody didn't plan out the shot. You cannot see the people speaking. You've just got Barry Dowersaw taking up 40% of the frame and not saying a word. <laughs> That's right, and looking very uncomfortable in his seat. Because he doesn't want to do a Russian accent, so he's, he's an American defector sympathizer. <laughs> Stay, staying quiet. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't really work, you know, a, a guy with an American accent doing the Russian character. That's right. So what we see is the first thing they show us is a clip of Nikita Koloff winning the U.S. title and being announced by an announcer as the champion. Yeah. But as it turns out... And as I read on the results, this result is overturned. There's a disqualification. So Nikita did not win the championship on that night. Then their conversation continues to another encounter on another night. And we see a similar scene from we've seen before, which is Ivan Koloff has finished off some hapless jobber and has decided that it's time to beat him up afterwards. So Nikita gets in the ring, again, not in his wrestling gear, so he's taken off whatever shirt or sweater he had on. So he's bare-chested now. And they're uh, beating on this poor jobber and that brings out the cheers and magnum ta rolls in the ring and gives ivan koloff a shot and starts brawling with nikita and as jeff maybe alluded to earlier it's that perfect like sort of rolling around on the ground for half of it they're sort of like no i'm on top no you're on top no i'm on top and they're getting in all these shots and they do end up outside the ring and the thing is is that crusher khrushchev is on the outside with a pair of crutches and eventually as magnum starting to get sort of the the upper hand he comes up behind magnum and gives him a shot in the back with the crutch and then hits him on the, the ground with the crutch and then nikita gets the stomps on him and then a little fleet of baby faces including wahoo mcdaniel and some other people and our lesser favorite uncle grandpa cowboy <laughs> from yep. the crockett cup <laughs> we'll come up with his name later <laughs> he's in the scene and so they get chased off but magnum looks really hurt he looks quite beat up from this uh, uh, you know, the scene and not only, you know, who knows, I'm assuming they still have the Baron helping them. So the forces of evil are growing and Magnum's, you know, getting in more and more trouble. On the April 26th episode of Worldwide, we find out about some really important happenings that have gone on. And there's a huge development in the feud between Ric Flair and Ricky Morton. But we start out, it's Ronnie Garvin actually on the set being interviewed, which leads us to the footage where we find out all this important information. So there's a six-man elimination tag that we join in progress and it's down now to flair and morton so we have dusty and robert gibson on the outside already eliminated and conversely tully and anderson on the uh four horsemen now three horsemen until further notice uh <laughs> healed side so we don't get to see a lot but it does look good it's uh you know there's, I like the, the hot the, crowd. Yeah. And also I like a crowd that's in the dark. That's, I just prefer yeah, it, yeah. you know, to the lit up uh, WWE audiences. I don't need to see everybody in the crowd. That's right. Yeah. And I believe the finish is an Irish whip that Ricky Morton manages to turn into a small package for a one, two, three clean pin that's right. on Ric Flair. The referee counts it that, you know, it's not Robert Gibson this time. <laughs> 
and Tommy Young goes to raise Ricky Morton's hand, but the crowd just goes so insane. Yeah. And Ricky doesn't even wait to get his hand raised. He runs out of the ring and he's jumping around in Dusty's <laughs> arms and Robert Gibson's arms. And they're just so excited that they just like, they do kind of a reverse ultimate warrior. Like he sprints away from them. As soon as the bells ring, he wins and rings. He's like, I'm out of here. Or Forrest Griffin, that famous time that he, <laughs> he lost a match and ran away. Yeah. So, uh, but this leads to absolute fury on behalf of Ric Flair specifically. And, uh, you know, his, his buddies, JJ, Tully and Arn. So they follow the faces backstage and they go into the dressing room where first they take out Robert Gibson and then they attack Ricky Morton. And I remember this angle from the wrestling magazines. Yeah. They, uh, injure his face. And you actually get to see this great clip of Ric Flair rubbing Ricky Morton's face into the floor. Yeah, and you can see some blood on the cement floor. It's funny, the camera focuses first when you come in. It's like a three-person beatdown on Robert Gibson. So you know it's like a Ricky Morton injury angle. But it's like Robert Gibson is the one getting stomped by J.J. and, and Arnon Tully. But then when the camera does finally shift over, it's like, as Jeff said, said Morton's on his stomach. And Ric Flair's on top of him, just like face-washing his face into the cement. Concrete. Concrete. that's right and it was very memorable because they covered it in pro wrestling illustrated and i didn't get to see any tv of it i just had to use the photos and the 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 imagination of how beat up his face looked yeah at this time it was sold so convincingly it was kind of like that uh oh it could be true as opposed to like oh i don't believe that this guy really is a um you you know the silly characters that uh, the wwf the characters of the WWF asked you to sort of believe and just sort of put aside your doubt and suspense. It's easier to put aside your doubts when, when this is being presented. That's right, yeah. And did you want to talk a little bit about how Ricky helped get this this uh, sort of angle over for those pictures? I believe that he sandpapered his own face. That's what I've read and seen too and heard. I've heard him say it himself. So yeah, yeah I think that's pretty widely known that yeah, as part of the angle, they like, they took some sandpaper to his face to c- create those abrasions. Yeah. Because that, and that's why I think part of the reason why the camera, when it comes in, he's already face down and hurt. Yeah. You know, because you don't want to see him standing up taking punches and you can notice that he's already got like a red cheek or whatever, you know, like before it even starts. Wow. So it's like they smart, smart, uh, the, ang- the, the, you know, the way they timed it and angled it and everything. They allowed to do the damage before the damage was done. But I remember it to this day. Yeah, it's a, it's a great angle, and it's one of the best examples of the whole, like, and it's happened a lot in wrestling, is the face shield. So, like, because Ricky Morton's pretty dedicated to it. Like, he sticks with it for quite a while. Like, it's not a two-week angle, and then he's got it off. You know. Yeah. Well, we get to see uh, the After Effects, Rick and Telly bragging about what they've done, and Telly actually slips. That's what you get when you mess with the Three Horsemen. That's the That's only right. time I've ever heard Three Horsemen <laughs> reference. Yeah, always, always at home. So yeah. the three-man team. I know sometimes they would just call JJ the Fourth Horseman when they didn't have a fourth guy. But uh, yeah, yeah. And do they actually uh, talk to Ricky uh, that night? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, we get the interview and we see him. It's ugly. Like he's got bandages on, and you can see the blood coming out from underneath them. And right. yeah, it looks very real compared to yeah. normal kayfabe injuries in yeah. wrestling. So uh, you know, at fourteen, I was kind of like, ooh. Maybe they, this really happened. Like, he looks a mess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he almost looks like he's got the black circles under his eyes, like his nose has been broken or something. And, yeah, it just really made you believe. Like, you thought this was happening for sure. It was a real thing. So as if this episode of Worldwide didn't have enough with all that Ricky Morton no-face-smashing goodness, we have a really big angle coming up with the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette's calling out Dusty Rhodes. And eventually Dusty Rhodes takes the bait and comes to the ring with Baby Doll. 
and he gets in the ring, and Cornette's doing his best trash talking, you know, as he only he can. Okay, now this is in front of thousands of people. Yeah, not, this is in front of dozens. an arena. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. This is a show. Yeah. Not the television program, but it's being shown on the TV show, but it's from a big... Exactly. It's lit up arena and stuff like that. It looks really good. And it's pretty funny. The camera, you can't really see where the Midnight Express are. You're just really seeing three people. You're seeing Baby Doll, Dusty, and Jim Cornette. And Dusty and Jim Cornette are like nose to nose. Looks like there's going to be a confrontation. And then you hear the noise of like the the mat. You know, like when people run across the mat or whatever, you can hear it. So the Midnight Express do a little charge. But Dusty, he's ready for them. And he double clotheslines them. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gives Cornette like this big backhand and just swats him and smacks him. It looks really good. He goes, Cornette goes horizontal like yeah, Hawk. Cornette's awesome. He takes an awesome bump. He somehow ends up in the corner and Dusty's over there you know, ready to lay more punishment on him, but that's where the, the loaded racket comes in. So I think it's Dennis Condry comes in from behind, whacks Dusty ah, Rhodes. That's so funny. I always picture Stan Lane, but because yeah, yeah. you can't see anybody, I'm like, oh yeah, Dennis Condry. <laughs> that's right. So they start attacking Dusty and Baby Doll again, as we've seen, she's physical. She jumps on them. She, she gets in there right away and she jumps on Bob Eaton's back. But he smashes her into the turnbuckle. He goes backwards and like rams her into the turnbuckle. And the announcers say, oh, an elbow. And I don't think it was an elbow. I think it was more just like he backed into the you know the corner right. and like bashed her off. Hawk breaking the sleeper, Ric Flair. Yeah. So there's a continued beatdown here without getting into the every little nitty-gritty detail of it. But the important part is, is that Dusty's laid out and being held down and being forced to watch. While Bobby Eaton holds Baby Doll very aggressively by the hair. And Jim Cornette gives her the racket handle to the gut shot. Oh, this rings a bell. And then everybody pours in all the jobbers and good guy wrestlers right. and Magnum. And the heels scurry and scatter and leave. And that leaves Dusty Rhodes over top of the fallen Baby Doll. Like, you know, so upset. Yeah, big drama. Yeah, and this really is the key instigator to this feud between... Dusty Rhodes, who of course brings in his good buddy Magnum to be on his side against the Midnight Express. And it's really going to lead to like a lot of stuff happening this summer. Well, I do have a vague recollection of it. We've been paying a lot of attention to the other superstars of the Superstation. That's right. But we haven't talked much about Magnum TA or Dusty Rhodes, so Yeah, we've been, we've been hinting, of course, at the, the you know, Nikita and Magnum stuff. But this is, Magnum's got two big storylines going on this summer, like everybody else. <laughs> Dusty can't stay far from the mic because no. he, he's the booker as well at this point. I'm, oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I guess you all know that, but like, so Dusty's making the decision. <laughs> who wins <laughs> so he's, he's, well, he's keeping himself like you know adjacent to the top you know like yeah. if he's not the top then he's got to be adjacent to it but that gives us that and just really sets up you know a huge angle that's coming up so we're going to fast forward here to may 3rd and this is another really big episode so just a couple of quick notes and then an important thing here we want to we want to let uh, jeff hear some uh, some some classic jim Cornette here but this is the announcement of the super summer sizzler tour that's the you know the bus tour by the rock and roll express where they do all these extra shows which would have been days off but they book all these like spot shows they call them these are places that don't have like their monthly weekly you know whatever the you know rotation and really what they're doing is they're taking the midnight express and the rock and roll express on tour because a lot of places have never seen that match you know they've been doing it for so long but yeah it still hasn't been everywhere 
and the Rock and Roll Express are so popular and so it's such a big deal that they, even though these aren't the biggest venues, they're selling them all out. So they're like they're maximizing that cash. And people kind of at first thought it was a bad idea and didn't want to go. But then the wrestlers who ended up being on the tour were like, "This is beautiful" because they got like they got they made more money. You know, <laughs> hell it, no, I want to stay on the big team. <laughs> that's right. That's what a vet told. I saw. Yeah, this exactly this. You know, just he's like, "You ready to come back to the A League?" He's like, "No, no, I like it here. We're <laughs> making right. money." That's right. So it's really neat. Uh, I don't think there's any like footage per se of the Super <laughs> Summer Sizzler tour, but and they do like a silly thing where there's like a contest where like little girls can win to be like the Rock and Roll Express is like I don't know like corner people for a day and they get to go to lunch with the Rock and Roll Express and so they're just trying to you know that Jim Crockett Promotions is in their feeble attempts or the way they're not as good as marketing as the WWF is they're trying to figure some of these things out and it's at least it's an attempt. Yeah, well, Flair called Morton the hottest baby face in the league at this point. Oh, yeah. Over Dusty, over I think Magnum. around this time was when they do a, uh, they shut down a city because they went and did a signing at like a Harvey's or a Hardee's or, you know, one of those like fast food joints. And like, it just kind of got out of control. Like just thousands and thousands of people showed up to this restaurant. The cars were like blocking one of the main strips in the street, you know, in the town. So like. Actually, know, they- I read about that. What has happened is uh, by some crazy coincidence, Hub, the burger guy, also showed up at the same restaurant. So Ricky Morton and Hub. WrestleMania 2 fame. That's right. He's in the Hall of Fame. That's awesome. Or at least he should be. Yeah. So a big thing here in the in the commentary when they're doing their interview strips is that Cornette will not give Dusty and Magnum title shot. You know, he, he wants to fight them, but he doesn't want to give them a title shot. Who have they beat, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> right. As a team. Yeah. yeah so right. he, he won't. So, But they're going to keep doing their tune-up matches until somebody's worthy of a title shot. So later the same episode, and we've seen it week after week, the Midnight Express are like on every single episode beating up jobbers. There's a tag team match and they, they beat them up. So they're ready for their next encounter and they're going to be taking on the James Boys. And Jim Cornette calls it just a tune-up match. And But things are right Don't off the bat. forget to say Condry every now and then. Help us yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Help Condry. Me out. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, yeah, okay, go on. Okay, so Condry and Eaton versus the James Boys, yeah. all right? But you need to know that something's a little off because the Minute Express come out to their familiar music, but there's no jobbers in the ring. And then the jobbers get their own musical entrance after the fact. <laughs> I do remember actually watching on TV music. Another really good wrestling music memory for me was the yeah. Midnight Rider because there's yes. an awesome song called yes. the Midnight Rider. And that's what this song is. Yeah, oh, that's what they're using here. song. I was, yeah. And actually, I was I would you know, I went down to the states with a friend of mine like about two years ago. I just traveled down to Oklahoma because you know I was sick of being doing nothing, going nowhere, and so I went on a little trip. Anyway, so uh, I had American currency. As I was getting rid of my bills and coming back to the Canada, I kept saying to everybody I was traveling with, I was like, I got one more American dollar. Ain't gonna let them catch me, no. Ain't gonna let them catch a midnight rider. <laughs> right on. So yeah, it's the Hank Williams Jr. song. These wrestlers come out in long black coats and like I think like white or almost like beige hats, and they got full masks on, like you know luchadors or something like that. So you can't quite make who who they are, but the crowd's popping for them, and this music, if nothing else, is giving it away. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, so we're gonna tune up uh, this match. Because Jim Cornette, of course, goes to the interview desk and is with the commentary team. And right away, he is not happy about this matchup. And this is not what they signed up for. Okay, we're back with the World Championship Wrestling. Oh, Baby Doll was out here a little bit later, uh, earlier. And listen, 
What are you doing? Veto contracts now? Is that what you're doing? Okay, first of all, I saw a baby doll out here, okay? And that tale of sorrow and woe would bring a tear to a glass eye, okay? That was really horrible, baby doll. The thing that I'm most ashamed of, first of all, I understand your injury prevented you from running in a Kentucky Derby today, and that's what I'm upset about. But Jimmy Crockett was out here earlier, and he was talking about Dusty Rhodes and Magnum T.A. wanted a contract for a match with the Midnight Express here on TV. Well, let me tell you something, Dusty. You may be a big-time team over in the bars or in the saloons or the beer joints, the Fall and Crawl Tavern where you hang out all the time, but you haven't gotten a ring and you haven't proved yourself. You haven't beaten nobody. I always see them talking a big match, but they never get in the ring and prove it. Mama they Cornette. ain't beaten nobody. <laughs> they haven't proved to me that they are worthy of watching a wrestling match, much less getting in the ring with the World Tag Team Champions. What we come here, what we come out here and do, Tony, is we tune up. We train, we get warmed up, and we tune up for our upcoming title defenses out here on TV. But we've had some outstanding opposition. We've had the Mokey Boys. We've had Wee Willie Wilkins. We've had Big Bad Bob Owens. And today, who we, who we got today? We got the James Boys today, right? Frank and okay. Jesse, yeah, the James hey, Boys. And that's fine. That's tune-up matches. That's what we're after. Dusty and Magnum, what you better do is you better go out and you better make a reputation off of somebody else. You better beat somebody. You better team up a couple of times. And then, and maybe only then, will I ever give you the opportunity to face the Midnight Express. Because right now, you're just not worthy of getting in the ring with him. That's what I told Jim Crockett, and that's what I'm telling you. And nobody gets a match with the Midnight Express unless I say so. Do you understand that, Tony? Yeah, yes, I understand it, Jim. Okay, very good. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you once again the Tag Team Champions of the World, Loverboy Dennis and beautiful Bobby, the Midnight Express. Yeah. That's the music. Yeah. See the Karen Frank and Jesse James. <laughs> Bobby giving it to Tony. starting to notice they don't have opponents. Okay. There they are, the Midnight Express. Jim Cornette looking for Frank and Jesse, the James boys, will be coming out. Stuff, but it's not immediate. Like it's not. It's not like it's. You know, it's not a paper machine. They rung the bell, Jim. Now with the coats off, <laughs> Dusty's giving it away a bit. Frank and no Jesse James, now. the James brothers. Oh my! <laughs> Especially when you see it. It only takes him a couple of seconds to start throwing. Uh, Jim Cornette was a warm-up. Oh my! The bionic elbows. Ooh, atomic drop Beautiful into the Bobby. bionic. Ooh. On the floor, Cornette is right behind our cameraman here. <laughs> Tagging in Tony. <laughs> That's really great. Yeah, it's good. Bobby the headlock goes over to the interview set, gives Tony a little high five. Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA, you got to be an idiot. They're masked men, Jim. How do you know that? They got masks on. Anybody, Ray Charles could see. I want Jimmy Crockett out here right now. 
I want Jim Crockett out of here right now. <laughs> Look at the best one, Dusty. <laughs> Some other job are doing a flip flop and fly. Boy, your men are really. Now, Cornette. Well, why don't you go on up to the ring, give him some advice? I want Jim Crockett out here right now to stop this match. That's misrepresentation. That's Dusty Rhodes and Magnum T.A. Any kind of fool, any kind of moron. Ray Charles can see that. It's Dusty and Magnum. Well, one of the James brothers off on to Loverboy Dennis. There's <laughs> 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 an arm ringer in Dennis Condry's looking to Jim Cornette to save him. <laughs> Pointing at it like, what's going on here? What's this? Obviously, the James brothers out of nowhere really know how to wrestle. Out of nowhere, I know where they're at. They're out of Dusty Rhodes' car. They probably just drove up 15 minutes ago. I want Jimmy Crockett out here right now. Down. Does anybody have any authority around here? I know you don't. I'm just announcing the man. You're just a goof. <laughs> this is a man of that caliber match right here. The way it's shaping up. Obviously, the James brothers have wrestled extensively He's together put before. The belt somewhere oh, safe, right? Man. He's got to take him out of there. <laughs> yeah. what he calls just a wonderful event. We have to take a break. We're coming right back. So they go to a commercial break, and when they come back, after being ping-pongs for a very long time, the Minute Express do finally get uh, the heat on Magnum, and they have quite a long stretch of offense on him. Of course, the good guys rally. You mean Frank James. Frank James, yes. Or is he Jesse? I've lost track. Yes. <laughs> I think he's one. Jesse. I think, I think Dusty's Frank. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But the match comes to a conclusion when all four men are brawling in the ring, and they set up this spot where each of the James boys whips one a member of the Midnight Express, and they catch at the exact same time in motion a belly-to-belly suplex. <laughs> and then they pin them both, and Tommy Young, the ref, it's ridiculous. He's slapping both hands at the same time, like counting both pinfalls. Instead of actually making one of the two guys leave the ring, he's like, let's just count it all. Fun. So this big upset happens, and they get this win, this non-title match win over the champions. Cornette, of course, is outraged and uh, running around. He starts to kind of get chased, so he's about to make his exit, but he doesn't realize Baby Doll has shown up on the scene with a cowbell on a ball rope, and she swings it at him, and then she chases him to the back. And this all winds up with the James Boys and Baby Doll at the interview desk, pretending they're the James Boys with Dusty Rhodes speaking exactly like Dusty Rhodes. Right. Ignoring the obvious. Yeah, it's really it's really quite silly and funny. So yeah, it's fun fun These, stuff. That's not the machine, that's Andre the Giant. <laughs> How could you lie? <laughs> I got <love> photographs. <laughs> is the winner of the match here on World Goodbye. Championship Wrestling. Jim, wait a second. Look here. Here's the sheet that oh, I get okay. that lists the matches. It says Frank and right there. That's what I think of your sheet. Do you take me for a fool? Says Frank and Do Jesse I James. look to you like a complete idiot? What do you think I am anyway? Everybody knows that was Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA. You couldn't add those figures and those faces with a burlap sack. What's all these idiots out here know who it was? They just won't admit it. Let me tell you something, Dusty Magnum. I want Jim Crockett out here right now. Jim Crockett, I told you we were not going to wrestle Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA. You probably knew that was going to happen all along. Dusty and TA, they tried to horsewallow us. 
I want Jim Crockett out of here right now. He is going to reverse the decision on that match. The Midnight Express have never in the history of wrestling been beat on television. I want... They were today. I want Jim Crockett out of here right now. Well... Does he realize how busy I am? Does he realize how valuable my time is? I guess, hey, I guess if somebody was going to rob a bank, Crockett, you'd let that go on Listen, too. we have to guess, go to a break I here. I don't care what you go to. I am not leaving this spot until Jim Crockett comes out here and talks to me and reverses the decision of that match. You heard it. We're coming I'm, right back. You don't see Tony Schiavone to understand who I am. I'm an important man. I've got a lot of money. I could buy and sell you 47 and a half times. I could do anything that I want to in this state, on this TV studio, or anywhere else. But I want Jim Crockett, and I want him out here right now. I'm not going nowhere till I get him. I want that decision reversed. I want Dusty Rhodes and Magnum P.A. find it suspended. I want... I want some oxygen out here, because I'm about to hyperventilate. I, listen, like I said, I would beg him to oh, come out of here, too. You know what? I could just, oh, I'm not a physical person, but I could slap you over this whole situation with Dusty Rose, with Magnum, that goof, that facile baby doll that started the whole thing that's got no business around here. I'm sick and tired of all this stuff. All I know is the Midnight Express are the World Tag Team Champions. They have never been beaten up. Jim Crockett, Mr. Crockett. Thank you, you very much. Where have you been? Thank you. I've been yelling and screaming for you for 45 minutes. Oh, and you have a manicure, do you mind? Okay. Thank oh, you very much for you coming have out. A problem? Yes, I've got a problem. You saw exactly what happened. Anybody in the world with any half a sense could have seen that was Dusty Rhodes and Magnum. Yeah, out here under those masks, not Frank well, and Jesse James. I didn't agree well, to Frank it. Frank and Jesse James defeat the Midnight Express right here on television. If you have a problem with that, that's your problem. Oh! oh. We're, co we're coming right back. Don't go away. Okay, so we've got a few more things to get through. We're going to try and, for this in the spirit of time left on the show and how much we have left to do with the Road Warriors and stuff, and we'll kind of speed this up a little bit. We do go to a May 10th episode and you see some footage from a host show where the James boy get to attack the Midnights, you know, get some licks in there. And this is where they take Cornette with the bull rope and they tie him to the back of a truck. And it's like they're going to lynch him. Yeah, I saw this and, on Dark Side of the Ring and they nearly killed the man accidentally. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a joke or whatever, but, uh, you know, it's supposed to not go that far. On the clip, you don't see much happening. Like the Midnight Express show up and that seems to end it. Right, but, but okay, let's, so let's just slow yeah. it down a little bit. You've got Baby Doll is sitting at the wheel of a That's pickup right, truck. Yes. And she's waiting for her instructions to drive away. Yeah. She says, like, I'm just waiting to hear a thap, thap on the hood, and then I'm supposed to speed off, you know, with tires squealing. The, you know, the make-believe angle was, I don't, I'm not even sure what they were trying to sell, but they were going to, so they, they dragged Jim Cornette to the bumper of this pickup truck. and put yeah, through a noose. the arena, sort of at an exit yeah, area. You outside know. now. Yeah. Yeah. While Baby Doll's at the wheel with the engine running, motor revving, Magnum and Dusty put this noose around Jim Cornette's neck and then tie this noose is tied to the bumper of this pickup truck. That's right. I mean, the impact could have easily snapped Jim, Kim Corn Jim Cornette's neck yeah, and killed yeah. him. The storyline is the Midnight Express show up, like you say, and yeah. manage to get the noose unhooked. 
unhooked and off of his head. And then a second or two later, there's a tap tap and the pickup truck drives away. But Jim Cornette's not attached. That's right. But like she says, but I couldn't see whether or not he was there. Like I would have sped away with because he was on the concrete, you know, and she's at drivers. She's at the wheel of a pickup truck way off the ground. You don't know what's happening. And he's laying down. So she can't see him in any kind of rear mirror or anything like that. Yeah. So she gets the tap tap. But like apparently there was less set time between the tap tap and the escape than was uh, made Jim Cornette comfortable. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, basically if she had hit the gas a second and a half earlier, he would have died. Wow, yeah, it, it it does look pretty crazy, and you kind of wonder, like, where are they going? As you what said, are you this, thinking? You know, good guys, yeah. it's like, come on. So one neat thing on this episode is there is sort of that uh, the announcements of the Great American Bash Tour announcements. I didn't take in all the details, but Tony and David, you know, go over some of the details of the where they're going, the, the, the venues, the you know, all the dates, start hyping the fact that Flair's going to be fighting all these different opponents and all these different great matches, and kind of just that's, you know, the way Jim Crockett worked their business is that TV show was a great promotion for all those house shows, which in these cases, are mainly stadium shows. Near the end of the episode, Ivan Koloff confronts Magnum and he's got a message from the Kremlin. <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't have Nikita with him. <laughs> so they have a come to an agreement on terms for this, finally this US title match, televised television match between Magnum TA and Nikita Koloff, but under, the condi- under various conditions that they've requested. It's supposed to be a chain match and also there's going to be a press conference to announce it all, the contract signing and all these things. And it's just really funny, again, <laughs> stitching in the whole, how the Kremlin's involved. So one thing that came up in the information when I came across stuff was there's this, uh, one of the syndicated properties is still called Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, which is basically a Jim Crockett NWA program. But like, you know, that prior to them taking over the NWA and prior to Jim Crockett promotions sort of maybe packaging themselves that way, you would talk about wrestling in that area as mid-Atlantic wrestling. Yeah, that's what I heard Flair, he he was saying, when we sold out, he was saying when we were doing the mid-Atlantic. Yeah, sure. This is the name of the the television show. They got Bob Cottle, who we've, uh, you know, heard and talked about before, and he's kind of the the microphone guy. And this card, I could never seen this show. Again, like, Jeff, you talked about it when we saw some of those WWF shows, I think, like, All-American or whatever it was, or whichever one it was. And just, like, hearing theme music you've never heard, but you know it was out there for, like, you know, on TV for years and years and there's people out there that have this theme music for this TV show burned in their brain and like I'd I'd never seen it before so I decided to kind of sit there for like 20 seconds and just take it in you know like just oh look at this and a different different footage and you know the opening and stuff like that a different look and but it does have a lot of the same footage that you would see on your other NWA programs one of the reasons is that this is where I actually got a better look at this whole bull rope spot because the the original one kind of cuts off as they're taking him to the back and then it cuts away and then this episode is the one where they actually show you the footage back in the garage where you can see outside and the whole truck driving away. So there's a match between Ric Flair and Ricky Morton on this on this television program. So we've decided out of interest of time, we're going to take the whole remaining angle for Ricky Morton and the Four Horsemen and everybody else. We're going to take that storyline and we're going to pitch it into the beginning of the next show for next week. And kind of bookend it. So we'll have the the you know, sort of the closing up of the storyline of Ricky Morton and Ric Flair. And then the end of the, the end of that show will be the actual main event between the two. So that's why as we go forward here, you'll hear we're kind of skipping over a few details and pretty important things. But it's for that purpose. On May 31st on World Championship Wrestling, we get a tease that 
the Midnight Expresser unmasking the James boys. So it's in that opening little, like, you know, 20 second thing. They kind of cut away as the mask is starting to be pulled up over the chin. You're not sure what's going to happen. So this episode has the press conference. So it's done in what looks like maybe a hotel room. It's a pretty small press conference area. There's no press there per se. But what you do have is, I think it's David Crockett. Or maybe it was Jim Crockett. I can't even remember. It was one of the Crockett's. Bill Apter's got to be there. It's no press conference (laughs) if there's no Bill Apter. We didn't see Bill Apter. But you do have the NWA president, Bob Geigel, I believe, is in the room. And you've got Ivan and Nikita Koloff are on one side of the table. And the other side is Magnum and his mom. Ah, <laughs> it was a well, strange angle. Mother's Day party a la Saturday night's main event. That's right. So, of course, episode. once they sign the contracts, then, of course, Ivan Koloff goes on his spiel again about how Nikita's the superior athlete, the superior, you know, Russia's superior to America, and, you know, how they're going to win the belt. And then Nikita's MAGA DA. And he starts making fun of him for being there with his mom and talking about how Russian women, you know, know their place and they wouldn't be at a press conference. And this is why he's going to lose. And, of course, Magnum TA takes offense and eventually, as most press conferences, breaks down into a brawl. So Magnum TA dives gonna, over gonna, the table. Nice. I'm going to pull a Bobby Heenan here and like, yeah, Russian women know their place on the Russian men's hockey team. <laughs> So they have this spirited little brawl. Magnum's on top of Nikita for a little bit. Ivan does, I think he like punches out David Crockett or whichever Crockett it is. And then he starts attacking Magnum, which is enough of a distraction so that Nikita can come in with the sickle from in a short distance. And so they leave, they leave Magnum, you know, in a puddle, like getting stomped on and beaten up and stuff like that. So does heading he into actually, this match. Uh, does he blade? No, you don't see anything like that. No blood. No, no blood. But this angle is not really over. So there's a couple more things this show. I don't have time to really talk about it, but we do have the debut of Big Bubba Rogers. Well, cool. Go on, tell yeah, me. Yeah, Jim Crockett shows up for a Min- for Midnight Express match to the interview desk. Bubba's behind him. Apparently that drop kick he took uh, <laughs> earlier in the <laughs> show. Right. Yeah, like two knocked weeks ago. Like, yeah. yeah, knocked an yeah. identity. But, you know, to be honest, with the hat on, I think he's got like different facial hair, the sunglasses, and just really covering up his body, you know, because the, the jobber Big Bubba was showing a lot of flab, and the... Suit wear and Big Bubba, you know, you can't quite see this. Like, I, as a kid, I, I bet you I wouldn't have, like, picked it up immediately. I wouldn't have been like, hey, that's that guy. Like, I probably wouldn't have been, you know? Like, and he doesn't say anything. So, like, you know, he's just this menacing large man. And uh, I remember from the magazines, and oh, I was yeah. impressed. And they, you know, like, Bill Apter was, whether he was there in person or not, <laughs> you know, were so good to work uh, with the NWA. I mean, they just, there was a cooperation. So I knew who Big Bubba Rogers was. And I yeah. was like, this, you know, Jim Cornette's bodyguard who felt no pain. That's right. Couldn't be hurt. There's a super famous Four Horsemen promo uh, now that Ole Anderson's back on the scene. And this is one of his first things we see. So we're just going to hear that. We'll hear that little clip. But it's uh, people have seen these images. It's kind of the all for all, all for one, one for all, you know, hands in, you know, yeah, the horseman. Like they're just kind of, you know, reveling in their glory again now that they're all back together. Happy to have Ole Anderson back. And, you know, this man right here is going to be smiling when he comes in. What did I tell you? Our credibility of the four horsemen is based on one fact and one fact only. When we tell you something's going to happen, it happens. And Jesse Rhodes, you find yourself in an unenviable position. You are on the rebuttal end of what you and the Road Warriors did to The Rock. Well, The Rock's back, Daddy. Four horsemen, not three, four horsemen. And when we start choosing sides, Rhodes, just remember one thing. Magnum's felt the horrification. Ronnie Garvin's felt it. Sam Houston's felt it. You felt it. 
You've all been hurt because you want to get in bed with the big dogs. So now, recap it and start asking Dusty Rhodes, how many friends do I really have when they got to sit there and think, hey, maybe the four horsemen going to get me getting out of my car, maybe get me at the bar. We will jump you anywhere, anytime, and The Rock has a few words for you right now, Dusty Rhodes. Roll the tape. Let's take a look and a listen. I was there. I thought I was there. I heard somebody out there said, maybe your eyes deceive us. Maybe it's somebody that just looks like Anderson. Maybe our TV is messed up. Maybe a pig can fly. Maybe, maybe. There ain't no maybes about it, David Crockett. You're looking at the four horsemen. We're back together. Rhodes, you make the biggest mistake of your life by even staying in wrestling. You should have got out. You got two chances now. One is to stay out. The other is to get yourself crippled so bad that even your papa the plumber ain't gonna know you when we get done rearranging your pipes. You take a look at all the people that are trying to help Dusty Rhodes. What's the name of the Rock and Roll Express? Well, here, we got a nose on the other end of this one. We take care of you, Ricky. We go to Robert, and we go to the most important man, the American dream, the one that everybody believes the sun rises and sets on. Did you really think did you really think that you were going to get rid of the horsemen? Did you really think that Ole Anderson was going to go off to the sawmill and sit for the rest of his life? <laughs> I tell you this, Rhodes. In no way, there's no way that it's going to be over. I know it now. No way it's going to be over until one of us, and right now, you're looking at the burial team. You're looking at the team that's got the shovels. We got the plot of ground out there, and you might as well realize it, and everybody in the world better realize it. This ain't no joke. This ain't no funnin'. This ain't no April Fools. I'm as serious as I can be. We're gonna get rid of Dusty Rhodes. You bank on it. You go down, you can bet on it. I don't care who helps him. I don't care where. I don't know when. All I know is gonna be done. And right now, we're going to do a little celebrating because the four horsemen are back in business. Right. Unity, boys. The, unity. the four horsemen. Yes! 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 yes. 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 I thought I was next. I thought I was next. Ha. I did have a moment uh, where I had to laugh at one. Talking about, you know, Rick Flair, we love him, but he is the most urban city-based human being you could possibly conceive of. He is neither a nature boy nor a cowboy. Yeah, he yeah. does not ride a horse. He does not hang out in nature's. He's limousines and jet skis. And, you know, he is a man of the city. He doesn't, right. He's not on a fucking farm. A horseman? It sounds cool, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But these yeah. guys, the cowboys, are the James boys. Just That's you, right. you know what I mean? Like, um, it's just kind of funny. If you take two seconds to think about it both of his nicknames are completely inappropriate they don't yeah they don't make a lot of sense they should call him fucking city slicker or i don't know but anyway like his personality is all party all urban you know like he's just it, yeah so continuing that last uh, clip was from june 7th actually I bet he never rode a horse in his fucking life <laughs> so continuing on with this june 7th episode really important happening here which is that there's a public rep- reprimand of magnum ta by NWA president Bob Geigel. So he he comes out and there's a little show, there's a spot where they're being it's almost like an interview segment and he's telling Magnum that the board of directors has looked into it 
and that they realize there's some extenuating circumstances. They basically tell him his actions were unbecoming of a champion, which I'm not sure where he was when all the other times when champions have done bad things, but here we go. Basically, Magnum's pretty indignant and really upset that he's like, but it's my mom. And he's like, he's just basically won't really accept the fact that he hasn't been suspended. He was not fined. Basically, like nothing happened to him other than like a little like, hey, don't do that. And he basically loses it. <laughs> he's like, I can't remember the wording of it, but basically he throws he throws Bob Geigel's own words back in his face and then punches Bob Geigel in the face. Like, what kind of a hero is this? He just like, he pops the NWA president and knocks him out. What the fuck? Exactly. It makes no sense. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So then... Before the episode is over, you find out through a Koloff interview. So the Koloffs are at the interview desk, and they're basically, they find out that he's been stripped of the title, Magnum TA. So they're claiming the title for themselves. They think that by the fact that Magnum's been stripped, that Nikita's immediately the champion. But of course he's not, and that kind of sets up. And that's where this announcement comes, that they're going to have, starting at the Great American Bash, a best of seven series. And whichever man can win four matches is going to be the U.S. champion. Awesome concept. Great idea. I remember reading about it. Well, what can I say? Anything you remember obviously had an impact. That's right. And the last match that's on this card, and I only have to mention it just because of the connection to us and the things we've talked about before, is we see Steve Regal's in town. He's 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 on TV now in the NWA, and he's actually affiliating himself with Jimmy Garvin. So in the, he's tag teaming with Jimmy Garvin in the jobber match. And I know that he's on a couple of these Great American Bash cards. I'm not sure how long he sticks around, but our AWA, Steve Regal, is uh, doing the Jim Crockett thing. Mr. Electricity, who also <laughs> cut a decent promo. I took a look and I was like, oh, yeah, he's competent. He's uh, well-spoken. You know, some of those big meatheads just can't get two words out to straight together. That's right. <laughs> but uh, he was not bad on the mic either. He, You know, his career uh, was not the most memorable. But yeah, we got a soft spot for Steve, Mr. Electricity Regal. Because he was on our TV when we were growing up for That's a long right. time. We hated him at the time. I, don't, sure. I, didn't, li- I didn't like him. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he was there. This is one piece of business left for the Nikita Magnum feud. So at this point, the title has been relinquished at the desk. Magnum's handed in, turned in that U.S. title. So Magnum Ivan, tantrum. So Ivan Koloff shows tantrum up. Tantrum TA. There you go. Ivan Koloff comes up and bullies Tony and David and takes the belt and says that it's Nikita's belt. It's our belt. And he tries to leave, but Magnum comes back and gives him a pop. Oh, nice. Knocks him down and beats, you know, beats him up a little bit. Not too much. But it, it really sets up that last stretch before they can have their first match of that best of seven and there's no footage of it that I can find, but July 1st in Philadelphia, the first of the best of seven. So we have one week left, and this is where things get flipped on their head. It's June 28th, and there's a flare match, but a certain man who looks like he's from the apocalypse is going to come out to look for a little bit of revenge for Ric Flair's big mouth. So why didn't they start this on July 4th, on Independence Day? I guess that's a good question. Maybe it was arena avail- like stadium availability. Maybe it was... I'm not sure. I would guess yeah. like- anyway, so I guess, all right, now I get it, that there is a finite limit to the, the Great American Bash tour, the whole angle. Right. So on this episode, uh, we're going to see a really important segment that's, you know, it's you, we talk about how long they set these things up. This one doesn't get much setup time. There's not a lot of time between this airing and when this Great American Bash card is going to start taking place. So, yeah, Jeff, take it away. Well, the Road Warriors, I would say, are my favorite tag team. This would epitomize the best of their singles action where they had the most 
potential to uh, draw money and main event as singles wrestlers. The setup for that in this case would be with J.J. Dillon's infamous four horsemen who are actually down all horsemen, but that's enough to do the job in this case. (laughs) So what we have is, uh, it's a Great American Bash promo where Ric Flair is calling out all his opponents and he said, I got 14 guys that I'm going to fight. And he does some interesting math that we covered a little earlier in the show. But then he gets on to saying about Hawk. I, I, he's taking a shot at him, I think. But just, you know, you're on the beach. Not really an insult, particularly. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? uh, I thought Hogan was the surf bum. And uh, the road warriors came from the gritty streets of motorcycles. Yeah, of course. I, I can only think, as you suggested before, like Muscle Beach. Like he's he's working out on the beach. I don't know. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> but uh, Hawk will be the first one to challenge Flair for his title on this tour. Of these 14 wrestlers, Hawk is going first. Ric Flair is, you know, saying how, yeah, that's where you're, because you haven't got the guts to show up to this TV taping. You know something is suspicious when Ric Flair is in the ring with a jobber. <laughs> What's going on here? He, he he wrestled jobbers more than you would think. It was definitely different. You know, it wasn't like the Hogan where it was once or twice a year where he came out and wrestled Moondog or he wrestled Rusty Brooks. <laughs> and then basically no one ever, maybe I think Cowboy Bob Orton in 87 or something like that. But like he was never on TV other than Siren's Man event and other specials. But Flair, yeah, he would get in there every few weeks and mostly just on the interview set. But every once in a while he'd get in there and slap a jobber around. <laughs> So Flair is about to handle his uh, jobber of the month, and uh, <laughs> Hawk comes along. Now, alas, this is WWE Network, so there's some stupid rock and roll song that they play for Hawk interrupting Flair. It's nothing I've ever heard, and it doesn't do yeah, anything for me. You can tell. <laughs> Pretty lame. But Hawk shows up by himself. I don't know where Animal or Paul are, but at the moment you don't see any horsemen either, so I guess it's fine. It's just the two of them. That's right. And uh, Hawk... Stands up on the apron because he's been uh, called gutless by Flair, and he's not going to have that, of course. Flair taunts him and, you know, says, sure, come on, get in there and go ahead and Hawk, which Hawk does. Flair's on him right away. Hawk no-sells a couple chops to the chest, so (laughs) Flair tries to strangle him, just the old, you know, straight up wrap my hands around your throat and choke the life out of you, you know, like Has he seen those traps? (laughs) (laughs) So Hawk no-sells that, too. (laughs) That's right. And I'm trademarking a new move here. We've got the Moroccan whip. Move over. I've now got the, the push shove. <laughs> <laughs> the what? Push shove. So, is that what I have? No, choke shove. Because <laughs> TM, the, uh, the, the creative is still working out the kinks. We're still kicking the tires. Trademark isn't in yet. Trademark, no. We haven't, got, we haven't heard from the patent office. Who's, who's, no. do, who's shoving who? <laughs> Choking who? Choke shove. Yeah. yeah you got your choke. Sa- okay, I got and Here I am. All right, you got your choke slam. You got your slam shove. But I present to you the choke shove. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a new move taking over. 1987 will be dominated by, you thought the DDT was something. No, the choke shove. We're not even out of 86 yet. Come on. So Flair is choking Hawk. And Hawk's not selling, so Hawk rams, wraps his hands around Flair's throat, and the two of them are strangling each other, but they're standing. And then Hawk gives him a big shove, and Flair goes flying, ass overhead, backwards, and does a basic backward somersault into the other. That's the choke shove. Okay, yes. Two guys choking each other, but, you know, of course, Hawk has the benefit of being in the corner, so he's got all that weight to push from. Yeah. So, trademark, choke shove. I don't want to see any websites out there without my permission. <laughs> Chokeshub.com. Um, so Flair gets up, Hawk punches him a couple times, and then 
Hawk had the best flying tackle. It was so awesome. He whips a guy, and then he leans against the rope himself for yeah, a little bit. Himself, yeah, yeah, bounces himself off his back. He doesn't run. He just kind of like he like falls back on the ropes because yeah, yeah, yeah. he's so big. He knows it's going to bounce him back up, you know, like yeah. 280 pounds. And then he takes one, two steps and launches himself totally horizontal. Yeah. And the other guy is, you know, doing his job properly. He's running into the ropes and then running into this, you know. <laughs> Oncoming train. That's right. This, this, oh, it's so great. I always loved his flying tackle. So it looks great. And Flair just goes splat. It's yeah. awesome. And then one of our favorite press slams in the business Hawk picks up Flair just as the yeah. Bastards show up. Uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Arn looking kind of chubby, not in the best of shape. But, um, I mean, he's even never, he was never ripped, but he's got, you know, big love handles in this clip. Okay. Know, it's a little bit pudgy. Anyway, so Hawk's got full arm extension. Ric Flair is, you know, like by the time you measure from the floor, he's like yeah. 23 feet in the oh, air. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he drops Flair onto Tully and Arn. <laughs> that's right. And they don't do as good a job catching him as, you <laughs> know, should. modern wrestlers <laughs> do. You know, like, seems these days people, like, land on other wrestlers. But, yeah, you yeah. know, like, it wasn't, you know, so anyway. But that gives Oli. Uh, so I spoke yeah. too soon. I'm sorry if I said the three or four. When I said they were missing a horseman, here he is. Oli shows well, up and so, knees Hawk he, in the back. He's so recently back. It's only been sort of a couple of weeks. He hasn't been around much. They, you know, like it's kind of like a bit of a surprise. Depending on what what programs you watch, this might be the first time you saw him. Aha. Well, he gets Hawk with the smart man sneak attack from behind. That's, right. That's the knee to the back of the section. You don't turn him around, Paul Orndorff. <laughs> That's why Hogan's Rent-A-Cops got rid of Bobby the Brain and Paul didn't know what to do. That's right. <laughs> so Hawk's now you know, been injured and Animal and Paul Ellering are going to show up right away. But before they can get there, you know, yeah. you've now got all four horsemen. That's right. And they're and very quick the way they get in the ring. They're moving so fast. Yeah. They're like a pack of piranhas. Yeah. Back of dogs, wild That's dogs. That's right, yeah. But they were never the biggest guys, but no. they were the swarming tactics were very believable. Yes. Their bullying gang up style of That's beating right. people up. It was always very yeah, you could get behind it. It was cool. I mean, you know, anyway. Um, credible. So Animal tries to uh, get in there, Paul Ellering as well, but JJ Dillon lays out Paul Ellering with a shoe. Yeah, well, Animal Common catches tactic. that really rough knee. He's trying to go through the ropes. He's trying to step between the ropes on the apron, and I think it's Flair that comes diving over with this big flying knee almost. Not really a high knee because he's kind of keeping it low because, you know, Animal's bent over, but he really, and he falls off the apron to the cement. Animal gets nothing in. He doesn't even get done, you know. Yeah, like, and, and Ellering doesn't even get a shot in either because, no. like, as. You know, he's trying Crushed. to do anything. All of a sudden, you see the shoe. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're, they're unfortunately not able to uh, dish out any punishment. Then, oh man, crazy spot. Hawk is kind of like, has to play a, a bit more injured than he really should be. Because like at one point, he's in the ring with only one horseman. So yeah, he's, it's just Anderson trying to yeah, get, put so the boots on him. He should be able to like start beating up Arn Anderson. Meanwhile, you know, you've got Flair, Blanchard, yeah. the other Anderson, and J.J. Dillon. They pile drive animal yeah, on, pile driver on the cement. On the concrete. Yes. He was head would have stuck if it was cement. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. That's right. So we don't see animal take this kind of beating much. The no. ward warriors are the ones who lay people out. Yes. Anyway, so now that leaves five guys to beat up on Hawk. And they, right. they basically hold his arms back and then Flair does the whole like, uh, you know, I'm not sure why it makes it more powerful if you spit in your palm before you slap a guy. Some <laughs> lo- disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, more disrespectful. Or some kind of laws of science. Like, oh no, you see the liquid is the, the smacking and the percussive you know, force. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, so they slap Hawk, humiliating him. And um, 
and then they uh, beat him up enough dazed, he doesn't get it beat up as bad as Animal because yeah, right. there's a promo in a bit. But to the horsemen go off uh, completely. Well, they, they, the last move they do on Hawk has actually ends up being very dangerous. So Arn Anderson is doing basically his gourd buster on Hawk. But it's like an assisted, you know, like Blanchard and, and Oli have his, like, let's say his legs. And a gourd buster is essentially a front suplex. It's like a face smashing suplex. But there's right. a moment like where. Like a la Jake and Randy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Last. Exactly. And there's a moment where Hawk's body starts to turn, like his neck. And but he's supposed to come down like face first, but he's all of a sudden twisting. But he's but they're not letting go of his legs or whatever. And I think it all works out okay. But there was a moment where I was like, "Oh my god, they're gonna break his neck!" Like, and, and totally unintentionally. Like, yeah. it looked like he was gonna fall in a very dangerous way. Mm. And fortunately, it kind of all worked out. But I was like, I watched it last night, and I was like, "What the hell are they doing? Like, why right. are they why are they setting him up to like really, you know, actually hurt him?" <laughs> right? Yikes! Scary. Well, you know, one hopes that everybody was, uh, you know, fully at their uh, functioning capacity. We know that there were substance issues all over professional wrestling. And and uh, sometimes, unfortunately, Hawk is known to have actually been a little less than aware of 100% of what was going on, yeah. sadly. But he is still one of my favorites. And uh, yeah. uh, anyway, um, I mean, the Road Warriors are my favorite tag team. So Hawk cuts a promo. Uh, Animal is... Uh, Laid out so he doesn't hit the TV before the end of the episode. Paul Ellering right. gets up. Yeah. And then Hawk's furious at being slapped. He's like, my mother never slapped me. <laughs> my dad never slapped me. And he's just can't wait to get his hands on Flair. Yeah, of course. I mean, this, I think, represents the first time in their history as a tag team where they sort of got abused like this on TV. Like, you know, they no one ever got to lay out the Road Warriors before this, I don't think. Someone can correct us. Legendary Wrestling Obsession at gmail.com. Uh, but I, I don't think it happened. I think this is it. I think I've seen them talk in interviews about that, that this was sort of the first time they let, <laughs> you know, they, they agreed to like an angle where they were going to look this... This hurt. Right. Well, they famously would not drop the tag team belts to the fabulous ones. I guess they didn't want to get beat by a couple of pretty boy strippers. They're just like, <laughs> we're not dropping the belts. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve Kern's like, huh? You know, like, <laughs> uh, and they actually scuffled real bit uh, for a few seconds because uh, a misunderstanding where like, and then uh, Animal and Stan Lane are looking at each other like, uh, like, well, we don't really want to fight, fight. <laughs> you know, like we yeah, just want yeah. to work. We want to do, yeah, the yeah, match, do the match but like yeah but hawk was a had a hothead yeah, yeah and he was the temper guy so he was the one who said like we're not dropping the belts but steve kern was just not in a different space so he didn't he was just like what but he wasn't like what you mean you, you, are you talking about he's like what did you say or like i didn't even hear you right <laughs> and then so hawk and starts attacking steve kern and steve kern's got to like fend off a bunch of potatoes wow. and, and then they and then road warriors made the ring call themselves they weren't going to drop the belts and then they, it was really shitty because like well, I, I don't know. I guess uh, whatever. It is what it is. I mean, they, they just chose not to lose his heels. But I mean, like to a schoolboy or a small package, come on. You're still big, tough bodybuilders. You can drop the belts. Yeah. You know, like to a, a science move. That's right. You let Greg Gagne or whoever it was pin you in that six-man tag off yeah. the double drop kick. <laughs> right. Yeah. So rare. So rare. Yeah. Anyway, um, but I got to say that uh, did I... I told you about the we talked about yesterday we talked about the wrestling magazines and how i read about animal getting yep. poked in the eye yeah and everything so i gotta say it's pretty awesome all these years now finally to uh have watched 
Ric Flair wrestle Hawk. I mean, I, yeah. I, I never went. This is one match I didn't think to go and look yeah, up. Yeah, like he's got a, uh, in 88, the uh, Bunkhouse Stampede main event or co-main event is Flair versus Hawk. I'm not but, sure what other, you know. There's uh, a January 87 match. Yeah. I didn't watch it. I didn't have time. But like, okay, so let's do this. So how about that? It's almost like that they thought Hawk was the stronger part of the team. What do you think? I think he was maybe a tiny bit more charismatic. Like I think that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Animal was probably like the better in-ring worker. He was stronger. Just for uh, for everybody's, you know, let's let's, let's lay the the table a little bit. He was the stronger guy. Yeah. And so like there's no disputing that, right? Yeah. but Hawk was the more impressive remember, looking one, you know, like Hawk and he, was, did and, look and he more came impressive. across as more crazy. Yeah. You know, like he was able to present himself as more of a badass. The post-apocalyptic you know. guy yeah, who's yeah, like, yeah. give us the petrol and you can all live. <laughs> yeah. you know? Hawk, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. So I you're think right. that's why, you know, and again, now, I didn't want to choose sides because I loved the, the Road Warriors. So yeah, I was, yeah. the, I didn't really want to pick favorites, but. I did like Hawk's traps, his shoulders, the way yeah. they popped out. But they, they, you know, in the day, they showed how much the guys lifted. Right. So you couldn't deny that the animal was doing more reps. He was doing more weights. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? So it was just, I don't know. I was told, I was right into that. Like, yeah. oh, look at how much the bench pressing and deadlifting and dead curling. That's and right, Hawk yeah. was strong. I'm sorry. Animal was stronger. Yeah. But Hawk was more cut. And so, yeah, well, I guess they thought that Hawk could be a potential singles also, he was doing like you know he he did more of their top rope moves like which is a bit more flashy and exciting in the mid eighties right so like uh-huh. him having a clothesline off the top rope is a bit more more than just like Animal had that awesome power slam but maybe that's not as um, visually pleasing as the top rope clothesline whether mm. it's Doomsday Device or not okay yeah well uh, right so I there would definitely appear to be evidence now I would say that I, I never really had uh, thought about it but it looks like they had uh, dangled splitting them up and pushing Hawk as a solo and uh, you know I, I don't really know a lot about it but I'm gonna because that's part of we'll talk more about the potential breakup of the Rock and Roll Express in our next podcast so tune in next week for us to go further down the thoughts of like what if Ricky Morton had yeah. taken the the gold forgot something I really I can't believe I forgot to say this when the road warriors were getting leveled by the horsemen the teeny boppers started chanting rock and roll and the rock and roll <laughs> expressly gonna save you huck animal <laughs> it's crazy man they start chanting rock and roll as the road warriors are getting beaten up and I bet you like the, all the performers are like thinking fuck what you know like this no yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, shut yeah. up you stupid teeny boppers <laughs> they're like chanting yeah, for road the, warriors <laughs> yeah they're chanting for the rock and roll express to come save well, the road warriors four on two, so they figured four and four you know even it yeah. up but they had no part of this angle, that's and right. that's who's getting yeah. that chant. The crowd is crazy. Rock and roll, rock and roll. Like it's well, so I, I, loud. I'm pretty sure they wrestled on that card against Jobbers. So it's like in the fans' minds, they're in the building, they're in the back. Come yeah. on, come on, save them. <laughs> that's right. But they didn't chant for Dusty or yeah, you yeah, know yeah. Magnum TA or they weren't chanting you know Hawk or Animal. They're chanting rock, <laughs> ch- chanting rock and roll. It's pretty they're interesting. Bob, popular, you just can't man. you know like you. There's to a degree you cannot control what a live crowd's gonna do or who they're no. gonna what they're gonna say. And I I don't know that we like maybe brought it across clearly enough earlier in the show, like those interactions between Ricky Morton and Ric Flair. 
when it's just this flying, like the crowd is going so crazy. If, yeah. if when it would slow down when they had a proper match and there's headlocks and you know stuff, yeah, they would the calm, the crowd would kind of calm down. But it was like like you said, Beatlemania, like when it's just like Ricky Morton like popping off right hands and throwing a drop kick or doing a head, flying head scissors. Well, I'm thinking that Hawk is sitting there going like, "We should be beating the shit out of Rock and Roll for that." You know, what I mean, like he must be wishing that he was the heel, you know, and the crowd was chanting Rock and Roll <laughs> yeah. as he's clobbering Ricky Morton. Then the Road Warriors <laughs> yeah. would be like living their best lives, you know. That's right. This is great angle, don't get me wrong, but I'm sure that the Road Warriors didn't like hearing rock and roll chanted yeah, yeah, when they're in, well, hear, they're yeah. they're miles from the scene, you know. That's it's right, like yeah. nothing to do with the angle, but the crowd has got like maybe 80 or 90 people in it. They're Ricky Morton crazy. <laughs> Because it is made up, but there are a bunch of young women there or young girls. But sorry, I derailed. I just thought that I, I, that was an interesting angle to the horsemen destroying the road warriors that uh, I forgot to mention. That's but right. anyway, so I guess let's go do it. All right. We're in Philadelphia, July 1st. The sad news is we're not at the spectrum. There's no killer cow. <laughs> oh, would I have loved to have had Cal Redman interview yeah, yeah, yeah. Hawk. Wouldn't that have been so Flair. great? And Flair. Oh, my God. You would have been telling Flurry's the greatest. Okay. <laughs> You're right about that. Oh, fuck. That would have been so great, man. Killer cow interviewing Flair. Mm. You gotta know he was there. You're, you're right. Those women do want to ride Space Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that reminds me of some weird promos where like Hawk's like, Space Mountain's gonna be closed for repairs. And people are like, sounds kind of gay. Ah, <laughs> I think he just means he's gonna be the body cast. Course, yeah. <laughs> you can't woo the ladies when you're in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I watched this one promo. I was like, no, Hawk's still like just threatening to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> but there are innuendos in this. Like, you know, yeah. he's talking about the soft parts get hard and the Hard parts ain't soft or something. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So, I mean, like, there was lots of flair talking about how he's going to, you know, do this and that. So, Hawk was a little bit about, you know, I got my parts too, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, anyway. All right. Let's do it. What is this? What is this? It's a stadium show, right? Yeah. yeah. Veterans Stadium in yeah. Philadelphia. It is the first title defense of the Great American Bash Tour on Canada Day. Because <laughs> we are here broadcasting from Winnipeg. In 2023, and we're talking about 1986. That's right. And it's uh, September. It's er, it's early, early September. Just for a little context. So yeah, stadium shows are so cool. Helicopter entrances are always breathtaking. Yeah, for sure. Was uh, did this one had one too? I don't think it did. I think that's the no. But the tour got one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and famously, it's the first one. It's 85. Like the good guy Flair versus heel Nikita and that It's amazing when he flies in yeah. a fucking helicopter. And that's the one thing that I think, and I don't remember, maybe they did it in more modern history. In that era, WF didn't do that. So that was the one thing that I think the NWA mm-hmm. could say. Yeah, like yeah. that was one little check mark. We were like, right. we had a helicopter entrance. They never had a helicopter entrance. Right. So I don't think it's this match. And if I'm wrong, then that's a pleasant surprise. But yeah. uh, I mean, I was looking, maybe it was, maybe it's the July the one fifth, July fifth, yeah. Okay, so that's right. So I just saw. I was looking at another clip. So hey, yeah. anyway, but I mean, I was more just kind of saying like the excitement of being at a stadium. Yep. From some angles, it doesn't look uh, impressive, but if you do shoot it right, uh, yes. it, it looks fucking amazing. Yeah, they did. Uh, companies like AWA and in some places, World Class Championship Wrestling did a very poor job of filming their own product. You know, they would do things like have all the fans on the same side as the camera, so they were literally shooting empty stands, you know, like, but if you shoot it properly, and AEW and other ones, people have shown you this, you know, even if the place is half empty, 
three quarters empty, you can make it look full if you right. shoot it properly. Well, what I saw, unfortunately, didn't give me any of the musical thrills that are so precious to us. So I didn't get to hear boom, boom, boom. Was he already bong. in the ring or was it? Uh... Pretty much. Or the sound quality was so bad. Yeah, Something this, didn't give just me. Just to be noted, this match it's uh, was a one-off that I found online. The film quality wasn't the greatest. You know, it looked like somebody's VHS tape, you know, that had been <laughs> through the ringer. I got used to it right away. Yeah, yeah. But alas, I didn't get to enjoy a, a tremendous entrance of Ric Flair's music coming through a shower of sparks or, you know, yeah, the spangly, yeah. you know, um, entrance that the, like the tassels of the cool. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I like yeah, the yeah. silver strands and they, uh, yeah, I like that better than the black cape. I like them coming through the yeah. shiny stuff. Uh, cape or, you know, drapes. <laughs> drapes. Yeah. Draper! Uh, and uh, and on, alas, not that I could hear any you know Road Warrior pop for Iron Man. Like it, I'd have to go back and listen to it, but yeah. I don't remember being like, oh yeah, there it is. So unfortunately, the clip isn't the greatest. But anyway, Blair is sporting purple trunks this evening, and as far as face paint goes, Hawk has got his two piece, uh, a black kind of like. A paisley with three tails, and uh, but just a black, you know, it's sort of yin yangy, like a half of a yin yang. You know, it's circular yeah. at one point, and it's got like you know, and then on the other side, just sort of a red triangle under his eye, right? Because they would mix up their face paint a lot, and it would get better as the years went on. But this one is this one is probably Hawk's iconic uh, face paint. Okay, yeah. you know, a lot of times he'll do something that's symmetrical. You know, more like fa- the Road Warrior. They. I'm sorry. The Ultimate Warrior, yes. you know, did something very similar to Hawks. Yeah. Um, when he when Hawk did the uh, the balanced, you know, the symmetrical face paint. Uh, the ref is giving them their instructions. Tommy Young is the ref, who uh, is no shrinking violent. He'll take a bump. He'll get in there, as we will find out. Flare shove. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's no NWA Tag Team Champion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, that we know of. So after the instructions, Flair kind of. Does his little strut around Hawk, you know, just kind of okay, like, yeah. doesn't quite turn his back on him, but turns his shoulder on him to do, do a big circle strut around, you know, walking around like, uh, <laughs> and Hawk just kind of like what turns his head like an owl watching, you know, <laughs> Flair as he, uh, and he eventually, you know, just kind of takes a step and rotates because Flair's more or less circling him with his uh, woo strut. <laughs> so we get the collar and elbow and Hawk allows himself to get pushed into the corner with this okay so this would i got another new move the collar elbow shove <laughs> what collar elbow shove so hawk launches flair across the ring because uh, he's got his back braced against the turnbuckle yeah yeah and flair does another you know on his ass backwards somersault he's in the far <laughs> turnbuckle, and and then the commentary flair right back in there goes through the same spot collar and elbow <laughs> but again hawk's brace i mean you know hawk comes out two steps collar and elbow hawk braces himself in the corner another collar elbow shove <laughs> this is not the choke shove no <laughs> But Flair, so yeah, same spot twice, yeah. and Flair's just furious, and he makes that face like, Yarrr! and charges in. Hawk <laughs> takes like just two steps, plants himself, and Flair just takes a fucking, like he's hit a brick wall. <laughs> right, Flair runs into the brick wall, boom, just basically standing, yeah, oh, it's great. So um, <laughs> Hawk doesn't really have to move, just like stays still. He's so big, yeah, that it was fucking very flat, uh, pleasing to see. <laughs> So Flair goes for a walk. You gotta cool off. That's right. <laughs> this ain't working. So he goes outside the ring, take a little bit of a uh, you know breather. Is there anybody in Flair's corner? Like JJ didn't come out or Paul Ellering is there in Hawk's corner. Okay. I don't wanna rule out the possibility that JJ may show up with a boot. <laughs> but he's not making his presence felt heretofore. 
Okay. Like when we see Orndorff and Hogan wrestle, Heenan's already in there, That's right. you know, like, you know, <laughs> announcing Mr. Wonderful. That's right. So J.J. Dillon, by his absence, I'm going to say that he's uh, not around. Right. <laughs> what did I just say? By his absence, I'm going to say he's not around. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very profound observations there here. There you go. Legendary wrestling obsession. So we have a, another collar and elbow that Flair manages this time to uh, brace himself a little belt better. And uh, it doesn't go anywhere. And so uh, it goes into the corner and uh, Tommy Young uh, actually weasels himself in between the two wrestlers and does kind of a Chewbacca in the trust trash compactor scene where he's like, you know, pushes them apart. He's yeah, like, yeah. you know, I said, stop, you know, like, you know, one, two, three, four, come on guys. And then he gets right in there. And like, yeah, yeah. unlike any other ref, like he's like, all right, I'm going in. And he ducks <laughs> under their collar and elbow and kind of pops up between them and just like elbows the two of them. The guy's like, I'm in control here. But so Tommy Young is a very physical ref. But it does allow Flair to get a cheap shot so that Flair can now finally uh, get some offensive moves in. That's right. Ric Flair chops Hawk. He's in the corner. So that's where Flair loves to deliver his iconic edge of the hand karate chop to the chest, leaving welts wherever he goes. <laughs> but Hawk says, hey, I can play that game too. Hawk reverses the situation. He puts Flair into the corner. He gives Flair a chop to the chest and another and another. Then he... Takes an Irish rip position and throws Rip Ric Flair across to the other corner and runs in with a Hogan style clothesline. <laughs> Bam! Flair is down, so Hawk does his awesome standing leg drop, but Flair rolls out of the way. Ah. Yeah, and that Hawk Flair sells a bit hurt there because he, you know, comes from a long way up. Bashes the glutes. Mm hmm. Butt drop. But drop. Flair uses this opportunity to suspend Hawk in the air for like eight seconds for a beautiful vertical suplex. Flair could take a lot of weight and he can hold it up there like a strong man. Yeah. He's 40 pounds lighter than Hawk, but he's got all that weight. You know, it's just like a column, you know, 600 pounds of, of beef. <laughs> and then he finally uh, used to, lot of, I'm not sure who used to say like, oh, you know, that uh, all the blood rushes to the head when you hold them right, up. Yeah. The commentators in the WWF would make a note of that. Of course. Anyway, so it's a beautiful vertical suplex. Hawk goes down. Flair gets a two count, but Hawk kicks out, and Hawk gets up, and Flair's begging after getting a two count. <laughs> like, no, no. It's kind of funny. In the corner on his knees. So Hawk boots him, and then he does some awesome where Hawk puts his left leg on the second rope and does a bit of a launch off the second rope for a uh, extra height, and yeah. then, you know, and, and boots Flair, who was begging in the corner. <laughs> so after a few of those, Hawk snapmares Flair down and then he does a big kind of like arches his back and puts his hand way up and like just chops hair, Flair on the back of the head. Okay. Yeah, because Flair's on his butt in front of him. It's just, you know, very theatrical. looks really good. And I think Hawk needs a rest <laughs> at this point. Because <laughs> uh, this is where the tag team wrestler and Hawk comes out. That's you right. know, like We get a standing headlock and yeah, we do a rest hold for about two or three minutes here. Yeah. Um, Flair tries the push off, you know, yeah. where, to, where you have a, an opportunity to do some flying moves. But Hawk's not letting go. And uh, he does a bit of grinding his, uh, you know, wrist and forearm sure. into the, you know, Flair's temples, which he sells like, ah, really great. <laughs> and and uh, Flair a couple of times tries to get out with the push off, but Hawk won't let him go. Flair tries to get out of it with a sort of a wrist lock into a test of strength, you know, where the guys would not a knuckle to not, not lacing knuckles test of strength, chest to chest, arm extended, but like that wrist lock, you would sometimes see the guys would 
you know, it was leverage and power. They were like almost standing, you know, it's almost like back to back, you know what I mean? But you re- you reach your up around your ear, yeah. like you're talking on the phone. The other guy is behind you talking on the yeah. phone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. then like suddenly, you know, like you're wrestling and then you get your other RMs in there and it's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you on your back. And he was like, no, yeah, I'm yeah. going to throw you on your back. And like, you hang up like, like, no, you hang up. <laughs> so Flair tries to do that, like, but he only gets up to the, you know, that and position of, you know, like who's going to hang up and Hawk gets him right back down into the headlock. So he tries to sort of like wrist lock his way out of it, but Hawks yeah. needs a breather. So he's taking it easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are chants in the crowd of hawk, hawk, hawk. So he's uh he's got to slow things down a little bit, but the crowd is is hot for him. <laughs> They're ready to, for him to speed it up. That's right. So he gives once he's got his strength back, he's ready to do some we'll do some weights. <laughs> First he got a knee lift, flare, and then he press slams flare for the second time in the match. Then go hawk tries to do almost a one man doomsday device. You al- alleged earlier yeah. to his aerial abilities, mm-hmm. and so did I with his beautiful flying shoulder tackle. I mean, Animal did a good one too, but yeah. you know, hawk got up higher and he, he was more horizontal and yep. it's just a bit more impressive Hawks uh, flying shoulder tackle so he climbs up onto the second turnbuckle to give a flying clothesline which uh, you know he manages to get vertical and fly across the ring yeah. uh, so it looks like it's going to be deadly but Doomsday Device is this move when Hawk climbs to the third rope and the opponent is on Animal's shoulders so in lieu of Animal Hawk is just going to climb to the second turnbuckle and fly towards Ric Flair, but oh no, he misses, and it's a lot of impact, so Hawk actually goes out of the ring. Okay. Yes, which is an opportunity for Flair to follow him, give him a smack, and then ram the small of his back into the metal ring, the edge of the ring, the apron, a la the Dream Team. <laughs> Flair goes back into the ring. Hawk slowly follows, and Hawk is like, rolls in, so he's on yeah. the ground, standing outside, Rolls in so he's on the mat. Flair picks up Hawk, gives him a snapmare, put him back down. And then Flair kind of bounces off the rope, but stops. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) And does his rolling knee drop. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes he does a full somersault after the drop, right? He doesn't quite do his... Today they do three somersaults, before the knee drop and after the (laughs) knee drop, and then a backflip. And then the guy took the knee drop, does a somersault too. That's right. And he stands up, gives him a punch, and then falls back down. That's right. We get a two count and a, a, a Hogan kick out where he gets his hands, you know, underneath the guy who is, yeah. and just like shoves him. So Flair goes flying. But Hawk is still pretty stunned. Flair slams Hawk's head into the turnbuckle. He gives him a punch and a chop. Hawk goes down one, two, kick out from Hawk again. So Flair is in control. Flair goes for a back suplex, which you could also deliver an atomic drop in this position. Um, or the guy could. You know, keep you in a headlock if he's not feeling cooperative. <laughs> but it's a back suplex. And this is Flair's opportunity to go for the figure four, oh, wow. which he locks in and and Hawk sells beautifully. Hawk can be stingy, but not with the world champion. <laughs> so he's struggling and Flair starts grabbing the ropes for leverage. Now, this is where finally Paul Ellering makes his presence felt because he's like telling Tommy, like, hey, look over there. And Tommy is not positioned to see Flair right. hanging off of the second rope to uh, put right. extra. He's laying down by Hawk's head, looking the wrong way. That's right. But Tommy Young does see, so he puts the count on Flair, and Flair's got to break the hold, and Hawk is freed from the figure four. Hawk limps up, and Flair, of course, he does. He he always goes, you know, at least one shot after the you know the figure four. You gotta like uh, kick that leg, kick right. that knee. Yeah. So he does that. Then he Irish whips Hawk off the ropes and puts on a sleeper. 
Aha. Yes, Greg Gagne, eat your heart out. <laughs> so, of course, the referee picks up Hawk's arm and holds it out to see if it flops down. The first time it does, but only the first time. We hear we're now at about the 10-minute mark over the sound system. Eventually, Hawk is able to struggle to his feet, and he staggers back and drops Flair into the current turnbuckle, so that breaks okay. the sleeper hold. Hawk is quite weak, so Flair chops him in the corner. And then, this is probably the least likely to succeed attack I'd ever seen as far as <laughs> Flair climbing the top rope and like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. please don't let me actually pull off this yeah. offensive maneuver. You got to do something here. You know, like, <laughs> I'm going to make it look like I'm doing something, but I don't really want to do anything. I want you to do something. <laughs> so Hawk is like weak and leaning against the ropes, standing yeah. but half sagging. And, you know, that'll often happen, you know, exactly between the two turnbuckles in the center, right? Yeah. But he's more like two thirds of the way over to the turnbuckle that Flair's climbing. So he's super close. Super <laughs> close. And there, when Flair takes the time to go up there in the third rope and go, woo, just calls attention <laughs> just in case, Hawk, you know, and Hawk's kind of like covering his eyes like, oh, I'm so dazed and so hurt, but like, oh, there he is right there. So he only has to take one step to catch Flair, of course, yeah, and throw him across the ring. And Flair always lands on his side. Cats land on their feet, and Ric Flair lands on his side. Because <laughs> he broke his back in an airplane crash. So Flair's begging after being thrown from the top rope. Shaking his head, no, no more. But Hawk is, he's got more. He's got another military press slam, full extension, looks so good. And then the classic Road Warrior Hawk fist drop, where he just kind of jumps up. And once again, he's horizontal. His leg, he looks like a drop kick, but he's actually <laughs> dropping a fist. Yeah. That was the, that's the cool part about Hawk's fist drops. They could be drop kicks yeah. <laughs> because he gets his feet. And then he's coming crashing down from six feet. They're my favorite fist drops in the, bis- in the business. We, he picks up Flair and gives him a knee lift. Then he Irish whips Flair into the ropes and delivers a devastating clothesline, practically takes his head off. And he gets a two count, another Irish whip into a, a power slam. This is not Hawk's <laughs> move. And he, Flair's head looks like it misses the mat by two inches. Oh, wow. Scary. Like you were saying, like, Christ, I was like, he almost snapped his neck. I watched another Hawk power slam, and by comparison, 16 inches clearance, yeah, yeah, safe as can be. It's just a little off, and I'm like, oh, Christ, you know, Flair must have been like, whoa. So I was, you know, scalp flashed before his eyes. Yeah. A little bit scary, but devastating. And now Hawk has got Flair right where he wants him. So Flair is just <laughs> like dazed and weakened, and Hawk grabs his left hand, grabs Flair by the hair. With his right hand, he shows it to the crowd, spits in it, and smacks the crap out of Flair, <laughs> like the way the four horsemen slap Hawk in the ring. So yeah. kind of like Hogan getting his revenge for the pile driver. That's right. This is Hawk replaying the spot and slapping the taste out of Ric Flair's mouth. <laughs> so when Ric Flair asks for mercy and says, no, he doesn't get mercy. <laughs> he gets punches. <laughs> he gets four big punches from Hawk. And referee Tommy Young has got to pull Hawk off of Flair. Right. Because he doesn't like these closed fists. This gives Flair uh, an opportunity to collect his thoughts. So next time when Hawk closes in, Flair cuts him off with a boot to the midsection. Then he punches. Then he goes for a punch. But Hawk blocks it. And he punches Flair. We have Hawk whipping Flair into the ropes. But Flair reverses it. Hawk goes into the ropes. Mm -hmm. And then Hawk comes off the ropes with a huge flying shoulder tackle. But Flair drops down to avoid it. And poor Tommy Young takes a Hawk flying shoulder tackle. Crunch! So we don't see uh, Tommy because he gets flattened by that. But Paul Ellering tries to help Tommy Young get back to his uh, senses and get him back into the ring so the match can continue. Meanwhile, Hawk 
takes a couple chops from Flair, but Hawk retaliates with four punches of his own. He black backs Flair into the corner and gives him an Irish whip. And this is where Flair does his classic Flair flip. That's right. And then run to the other corner. And he <laughs> climbs the turnbuckles and comes down only to be caught in a bear hug. <laughs> but a very short bear hug. Apparently, uh, spring is here because the bear hug's done. Time to right. come out of the cabin, <laughs> the cave. And then Hawk lets go of the bear hug. And then he kind of grabs Flair on the waist that almost looks like it's going to be a, a side gut wrench shiki suplex. But no, this is how he picks him up into a near Jesse Ventura style backbreaker okay. submission. And so he, yeah, he picks Flair up. And now Flair is on close to the razor's edge move too, but like yeah, on one like, shoulder. It's almost like he's going to power bomb or something. Yeah. And just doesn't. Power bombing him, yeah, he winds up in this backbreaker position, but not a Hercules backbreaker, a Jesse Ventura backbreaker. Yes, and the Rick Rue before the Rude Awakening, he used the he used that kind of backbreaker as well. Okay, but uh, Hawk has flair since there's no ref. He figures, why not? May as well just do kind of a actually do a, a backbreaker, not not a backbreaker submission, but a backbreaker impact move where yeah. Hawk drops to his knees and then Flair, you know... Crunches Flair over his shoulders. Yeah, and Flair gets, takes that crunch where he's already over Hawk's shoulders. And so, yeah, he falls off this backbreaker move, like, you know, submission backbreaker to actual backbreaker. Yeah. Hawk rolls on top of Flair and we see Tommy Young crawl under the ring and his arm comes up once. His arm comes up twice. You think Flair's going to kick out. Tommy Young's arm comes down a third time, and Hawk stands up. He thinks he's won the match. The crowd goes fucking insane. Paul Ellering's in the match. I've never seen Paul Ellering or Hawk look happier. They believe that they have beat Ric Flair for the world title, and so does the audience. And it's fucking insane. And like just to see Hawk and Ellering hug and like roll around like a couple... Tommy was hitting the mat and not... He was tapping Hawk's shoulders. Oh, okay. You are disqualified (laughs) because Tommy Young grabs the belt and he goes and like Hawk's got both arms in the air. Yeah. And then Tommy Young's got the gold. He reaches for Hawk's arm and slams it down to Hawk's waist. And Hawk's like, what the hell? And then then Tommy Young goes over to Ric Flair, falls to his knees, puts the gold in Ric Flair's hands, and is like, does a whole wave off. And we understand that Hawk's been disqualified. But for a second, man, Hawk won the world title. It was amazing. (laughs) My fucking road warriors. Won the world belt there for one second. Boy, what fun. Wow. It's great, man. Yeah. I mean, having read about that when I was 14, that the Road Warriors each got to wrestle Hawk. Because, I mean, you know, they're so... Wrestle Flair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the AWA, we were just loving them and loving the fabulous ones, loving everything to do with the Road Warriors. To think that uh, that success was... (laughs) They could have been been knocking Nick Bockwinkler around the ring. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the crowd would have. I just imagined Hawk versus Bockwinkle. I think he would have got as much excitement as Hogan against oh, Bockwinkle. Oh yeah, for sure. Anyway, so um, what a pleasure to cover this match for you, listeners, and we uh, hope you enjoyed it as a main event to this week's episode of Legendary Wrestling Obsession. Join us next week when we hit July fifth. The Great American Bash. We're going to take a look at that full card, mainly the top three matches, a little sprinkling of some of those undercards. And of course, as I mentioned already, we'll squeeze in that last bit of the juicy and very heated feud between Ricky Morton and the Four Horsemen with that returning Ole Anderson causing lots of trouble. Looking forward to having you back next week for more NWA highlight action. 
All right, take care. See you next week. So